Happy New Year! It's 2017 and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday and this is episode 108. My favorite episode of the year, our top 10 horror movies of 2016. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations that will help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting for Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shockbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay. Ooh, some kind of voice you got there. You sound like the Phantom. <laughs> well, look at these babies. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those, that was a dumb inside joke that I said, which was, my Skype has been hacked, so everybody that's a Skype friend with me, you've been getting very interesting information. It's like Dr. Shock's Twitter feed lately. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Look at these babies. Except, except you don't have to click a link to get to mine. That's that right. <laughs> They're just right there. Well, Dave, uh, speaking of you and your shenanigans, I understand. So we just had Christmas and New Year's and Dave was making me so jealous, Wolfman, because he had been sending us awesome texts of photos of his Christmas shopping spree. And it seemed like you were having a really good time, Dave. I was. It was a lot of fun. We do it every year because one of the things that we give is, you know, along with the regular gifts, uh, we, we give each other um, uh, gift cards. Uh, mostly for the day after Christmas, because then we all just go out to, we pick a, pick a location, we go there and we'll just do some shopping. Uh, this year we went to uh, the Berkshire Mall, which is right outside of Reading. Um, and I was in the FYE store there. Now, what I had intended to do was uh, Jody had posted uh, in one of the episodes, and I think it was the one of the, uh, of when we did a review of all the 2016 movies, um, you know, the recent one that we did. Uh, he had put a link in there that that brought up all of the 2016 releases, all of the 2016 horror releases, or at least probably 98% of them or something like that. Well, one of the things I wanted to do when I went shopping is I wanted to access that. I wanted to access Jody's list because I wanted to get some current movies for this episode. Um, of course, I went in there and my internet was not working in, in this FYE. There was just, there was no connectivity. I could text um, but I couldn't get onto the internet. So that's why I was sending you guys. I was taking quick pictures of covers of DVDs and saying, is this a 2016? Is this a 2016? If it wasn't, if it was one I hadn't heard of before. Uh, well, one of the ones that I had sent to you guys was the dead room. I looked at it and I said, oh, this is kind of interesting. So I sent you guys a, a picture of the dead room. And mm -hmm. I think Jay, you had gotten back to me. Uh, Josh might not have been sure, but Jay, you had gotten back that, yeah, it was a 2016. It was pretty, you know, it wasn't too bad. So I said, okay, well, let me pick this up. Well, I got home and I started looking at the back cover of it. And I said, wait a second, I've seen this movie. Well, I did a little research. Not only did I see the movie, I reviewed it for this past 31 days of, uh, of horror in October. <laughs> and it wow. is out on the Horror Movie Podcast website. Now, then I looked at my review. The last sentence of my review is, Though competently made and sporadically chilling, The Dead Room will not leave a lasting impression. And six months later, when someone asks if you've seen it, you'll have to think for a moment to recall whether or not you did. <laughs> I didn't even make it two months before <laughs> I had completely forgotten this movie. Uh, that's hilarious. So I now have a copy of The Dead Room that I could put up as a gift. It's not a bad movie. Ooh. It's just not particularly memorable. So I have a copy, a brand new copy of The Dead Room. Because I have two of them and I don't need two of them. 
that I can now put up as for a prize uh, for somewhere down the road. I have obviously I've bought and Josh, I know you sent out a, a tweet recently showing that you had uh, double bought movies. I've done that many times. This is the <laughs> first time I've ever bought something I've already reviewed. I've never done that before. <laughs> That's great. Well, we'll we'll take advantage of that tonight, actually, Dave. I got a great. That's fine. Yep. No problem. No problem. I double buy movies I love all the time. I have rebought Jaws <laughs> multiple times, Scream multiple times. Like, how do, did I not know that I had Scream on Blu-ray? I don't know, but I I didn't. <laughs> I I saw your photos of that, and I thought that was really amazing. And then who was it? One of our very smart listeners said something about um <laughs> about that's just our our culture of consumerism or something. Yes, I yeah. loved it. Well, so that covers Christmas. That was. Awesome. I'm glad you got to do some good shopping. And then uh, we, we recently had uh, New Year's and we wrapped up 2016, guys. And um, what a year, right, Josh? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, really. It was, it was a difficult year, I think, for a lot of us. Um, yes, it really was. It really real was. life horror was happening all around us. Mm -hmm. There's Brexit was early on in the year. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, we have the, one of the most divisive presidential political campaigns in u.s history everyone just was uh, miserable for a whole year because of that mm -hmm. yes um, death after iconic death and jay would you mind if i just name off some of the huge list of iconic celebrities that died this year no go for it go for it it's insane if you don't mind i want to call this segment they're dead they're all messed up Okay. Right. From Night of the <laughs> Living Dead quote. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We started off the year losing a horror icon, Angus Scrim, which, you know, was very sad. The tall man from the Phantasm films. But I'm talking about truly iconic. Like David Bowie, mm -hmm. Alan Rickman. Yes. I mean, these are two legends in their field. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Dan Haggerty, Glenn Fry, who I'm a secret fan of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nancy Reagan. You know, not won't get political, but that's crazy that mm -hmm. Nancy Reagan passed away. Gary Shanling. I had forgotten that Gary Shanling died. So wow, many people I died. had too. I had too. Yeah. Yeah. Patty Duke, Doris Roberts, Prince, Muhammad Ali, Anton Yelchin. I had forgotten that that was this year. We did a whole uh, tribute to Anton Yelchin when we did our Fright Night versus Fright Night episode. Yes. Man, just a tragedy that he's gone such a talented young guy gary marshall gene wilder gene wilder this is all this yeah. here it's just mind-blowing to me i don't know if you guys are golf fans but arnold palmer was a very recognizable face from my youth. right mm -hmm. robert vaughn uh florence henderson the the brady mom alan thick the uh, what's growing pains dad <laughs> yeah right yeah yes. jaja gabor george michael carrie fisher Debbie Reynolds, her mom dies like the day after Carrie Fisher dies. Mm -hmm. William Christopher. And then we ended the year losing a familiar face from the iconic horror movie. I just gave him one of his quotes. George Kasana, who was the sheriff in Night of the Living Dead, passes away just before the end of 2016. So Wow. It's crazy. And, and, and William Christopher, who played Father Mulcahy in The Mad yeah. Show for all those years. Mm -hmm. uh, just just passed away as well. As I was watching the the ball drop in in Times Square, it was funny because I got the feeling we weren't so much ending 2016 as we were escaping it. You know, <laughs> yeah. from from all of the the deaths and, and everything right. else, and and even personally, my 
my wife lost six members of her family, including her only brother. Oh it was just a very, very tough year for her. So we were all very happy to see 2016 come to an end. Yeah, there were a lot of people who were just like cursing this year as it was happening. It, it kind of like it reached the saturation point where there started to be, uh, you know, kind of kickback to that. Just saying like, come on, like give it a rest. 2016, like what else can there be? Mm-hmm. And it just seriously just got worse and worse, like shockingly worse and worse. So much so that on the 28th, there was a trailer released for <laughs> a new in quotes movie. Uh, 2016, the movie it was called Mm -hmm. and, uh, that kind of captured my imagination. Yeah. It's amazing. Do you want to hear a little sample of it, Josh? Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Okay. Here it goes. It's been kind of weird around here lately. Guys, they shot a gorilla. I don't understand. What is this thing? It's not a what. It's a win. There has to be a pattern. There isn't. George Michael, Rickman, Wilder, Prince, Bowie, Ali. There's no pattern. Ah! What happened? I tried to call for help and my phone exploded. What? My phone literally exploded in my hand. England just left (laughs) Europe. Why? Nobody knows. They just (laughs) left. It's not like it can get any worse. You told me Walker room talk. Did you remember to vote? I have the best months. Everyone says I'm a great year. We lost Leia. This ends now. Should all acquaintance be forgot and <laughs> The best part of that for certain is guys, they shot a gorilla. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, because that, if that we was, only knew back then year. how much worse it was going to get, <laughs> you know. Oh, I, I had goodness. forgotten that was this year. Yeah, it is insane. It was crazy. so that was a little. I'm, I'm assuming fake trailer from Friend Dog Studios, but that went viral last week and uh, deservedly so. I think pretty hilarious. That's cool. Yeah. Well, uh, something else we like to do is we uh, kind of look at the year as it has closed. Is we do we like to do a year in review before we do these top ten lists, and so um, Wolfman Josh has done the honors of glimpsing back through our year, and he's going to give us a little overview of some of the highlights. In case you're a new listener, in case you're recent and tuning in, just um, hear a little bit about what we've covered just within the past year. So here is Wolfman Josh's HMP year in review for 2016. Man, it's been a lot of stuff, and this was fun to look back on as well. Uh, listener Jody Horror Guy from Toledo, Ohio, gave us his lists of releases of these are just now fictional films released in the United States. So this doesn't account for all foreign films or documentaries or everything like that. But of the fictional films released in the United States in 2016, 33% of those were horror films. About 170 out of 507. So uh, that's pretty amazing. That's a lot more horror than we've had in years past. Mm-hmm. And Jody says, quote, I remember in the dark days of 1990 to 1996 when we maybe got a dozen horror films released theatrically plus whatever Full Moon and Trimark Pictures put out direct to VHS. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's just a huge amount of movies. And I think maybe that's why, and you know, just a tease, I had a really hard time putting together my list 
in a totally different way than I have in years past. I mean, I think it was just last year, or the year before where I was struggling to find enough good horror movies to put on my list that I felt like were list worthy. It was the exact opposite this year. I could not narrow down my list enough. There were so many great horror movies this year. Yeah. So that's something to be thankful for, I guess. Um, yep. Beyond HMP, we reviewed probably some of the most prominent horror films of 2016, um, including theatrical festival and VOD releases. In 2016, we brought you in-depth reviews, horror movie podcast style of countless classic horror films, but a whopping 32 new releases in 2016. <laughs> and I think a lot of those we'll be discussing tonight. So that mm-hmm. will be exciting. Uh, we started out 2016 just like we are now uh, talking about the year before and previewing the year to come. Uh, Jason very quickly blew minds and enraged hearts with the release <laughs> of Jay of the Dead's TNA, where he laid out his theory of horror genre definition with a rubric of tone and assignment or TNA. Look at these. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. Look at these <laughs> wow. This has been kind of a TNA year for you, Jay, with your recent uh, <laughs> Skype messages. <laughs> Tone it, uh, in February, we did a franchise review of the Phantasm franchise. I don't remember. Was that inspired by the passing of Angus Scrim or not? I'm not sure. Uh, we did kind of coordinate it a little bit. We we okay. yeah. We heard he was on the way out, so... No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't, it wasn't like it wasn't like when we did Scream a few years ago, and in the middle of doing that, uh, Wes Craven passed away. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that was that, that was, was actually the fall previous. That was just at the end right. of fifteen. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, so that's that's interesting. But we did the first two episodes on horror movie podcast episode eighty two, and then the second two films on the sci fi podcast episode eighteen, and then I later reviewed the fifth film, Phantasm Ravager, on the sci fi podcast episode twenty eight. Uh, we did two versus episodes with Universal Monsters Classics last year, where we compared the Universal films with their modern counterparts. We did Frankenstein 1931 versus Frankenstein 2016 on episode 83, and Dracula 1931 versus Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992 on episode 85. We did a more modern versus episode that I mentioned already, comparing Fright Night 85 with Fright Night 2011 on episode 92. And Ghostbusters 1984 with Ghostbusters 2016 on episode 94. I had a good time doing that. We did that with the sci-fi guys and had Brain on here to talk about the physics of proton pack. <laughs> that was amazing. And all that crazy stuff. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Episode 84 we called the Witchy Women episode or Men Behaving Badly, which features a lot of terrible things happening to women suspected of being witches, some of whom are and others who are not. Episode 86 was our HP Lovecraft 101 with horror scholar Carl Cederholm. He was the co-author of The Age of Lovecraft, and he came on to educate us a little bit about Lovecraft. And then Dave and I reviewed, I think, four HP Lovecraft related films. Um, we might have. I know that I specifically did Castle Freak, and mm-hmm. I know we d- talked about Reanimator. I think it was. I think we did a. Correct. I did, did Dagon. That's yeah. right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Yep. Episode 87 and 97 are two that we had basically had to tie Jay down and slap him around in order to <laughs> let us do these. Those were our horror comedy right. episode and our horror <laughs> for kids episode. <laughs> but they were, but they were, I really enjoyed the horror for comedy. 
that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, Jay, you enjoyed yourself on those ultimately, didn't you? Yeah, they turned out. I mean, there are some horror comedies I like, as evidenced by our lists, because we gave our favorites on there. And then even the Horror for Kids episode actually turned out pretty interestingly, for, for me at least. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. You've got children and you want to give them a gateway drug into watching horror films with you. Mm-hmm. We give our best job at recommending how you could do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Bunch of sickos. Episode 88 was a lot of fun, and I hope we do this again. We reviewed some bottom-of-the-bargain-bin blind buys. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, it. That was your idea, Jay. Tell the listeners about that. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, I just, I'm just i just nuts about that. I like seeing these bargain-bin films, and I just wonder. It's like, maybe there's a gem. Maybe there's a gem, and they're hardly ever a gem. <laughs> but uh, we've even talked about right. recently... Um, just going into Walmart and getting one of those little, you know, multi-pack horror movies. You know they're all terrible. <laughs> yeah. But just like getting a four-pack of those and just reviewing them for an episode on here, just for kicks. Maybe we'll do that yeah, this year. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be fun. Like you said, we're, not, we're certainly not going to expect much from them, but that could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we switched it up a little bit from features and covered horror short films on HMP 89. Do you remember that, Dave? I certainly do, yep. That was uh, different. That was good. I, it was. It was because it was. An, it's an area that I don't normally um, uh, delve into all that uh, frequently. So it was kind of fun to, you know, just just uh, yeah, take a look at it. Mm-hmm. We tried out a new concept that I hope we repeat as well, called horror around the world, and uh, we went down under for episode ninety six, and we covered Australian horror cinema. I really had a lot of fun with that episode. I think we did a pretty decent job of it. Had a few Australians, so. yeah. few Australians tell us that we didn't you know, embarrass ourselves. So oh, that's, that's nice. That's, all, that's always good. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'd like to do that again. That's something I'm really excited about. Actually, is mm-hmm. delving into some of the different countries and and digging into their horror, especially like J horror or something crazy. Yeah. Well, I want yeah, to propose that, that we do Korean horror very soon Ooh, because as yes. here on my list, yes. there's some of my very favorite films being made right now. That's yep. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, September ended with a small horror movie podcast meetup in Salt Lake City where Jay here watched and reviewed Don't Breathe with a small group of our listeners and then a giant movie podcast network meetup in Indiana where Jay met up with several HMP listeners and they, the group watched and reviewed the new Blair Witch together. <laughs> that was a blast. Both of those reviews and many of our listeners appear on episode 98. Jay, what was, tell us about that meetup. Well, it, it was maybe the, even the highlight of my entire year, to be honest with you. I, I just loved it. We all went to Indiana and we had about, uh, for the Movie Podcast Network, we had a turnout of about uh, 20 people. <laughs> like total all said and done and it was incredible and um just side note not you know this is horror movie podcast you're listed to a lot of them were hmp listeners or at least they were wearing the shirt so and they're crossover listeners too of course so you know but i'm just saying i was really proud of that proud to see hmp representing and uh the funniest thing about it was when we went to see blair witch uh, nobody sat by me in the theater. <laughs> nobody. So but that was kind of hilarious. So I sat up there and, you know, Dino was texting me, the top back row sucks and stuff like that. So <laughs> I, I should have gotten popcorn and thrown at them. But but yeah, it was it was one of the highlights of my year. And I was so grateful they came. And um, I, I don't want to forget, too, like 
There was the LA, as you mentioned, Josh, the Salt Lake City, the little mini meetup for for Don't Breathe. (laughs) When Mm -hmm. we that was a blast. Yeah, Nate and uh, Cora, and of course Kagan was there, and that was a good crew. And even Andy from Movie Podcast Weekly was there. But even earlier, like in the summer, um, I went to see The Shallows with Kagan, and that was pretty cool too. So I really enjoy going to movies with the the listeners of the show. It's great. Well, you know, we we make our listeners come to weird places because I think if we did this in L.A. or during San Diego Comic-Con or in New York, we might get a bigger turnout. But mm-hmm. we picked places like Salt Lake City and in Indiana for our meetups. And so <laughs> the fact that like Dark Mark flew from L.A. to Indiana to to meet you, I understand why there were only 20 people. But I'm also blown away that there were 20 people. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, like Juan came from Texas. So we had we had yeah. the the horror movie podcast Ohio contingent there representing. We had tons There's of so people. So many. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, it was amazing. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna do that again in 2017. Uh, it looks like it's gonna be in Salt Lake City. So everybody, start saving your dimes and nickels now to come out to the Great Salt Lake because I think we have a fun uh, meetup planned for this fall. So. Oh yes. Put it on your pencil it in, pencil us in. We're going to tell you more about that as the year progresses. Mm-hmm. Um, we then went on a journey to cover the entire 1980s slasher movement from episodes <laughs> 101 to 104. We went year by year discussing literally hundreds of slashers over the course of four episodes, resulting in about 13 hours and 15 minutes of podcasting. <laughs> that, that was probably my favorite of the year only because... We had intended it to be two episodes, mm-hmm. and then we just realized that the, the scope of what we were covering and just on the fly said, no, we're going to have to make this more, yeah. and just extended it out to four. Um, th- that's I really like that. I like that that sort of openness you know, uh, mm-hmm. th- that we do here at HMP sometimes, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and we had the big guns here for that, Greg Amortis from Land of the that's Creeps. That's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. And he, he brought it. And having said that, we almost died from <laughs> uh, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that was going on during October is we did the 31 days of Halloween, where we posted a written horror movie review at the website, horrormoviepodcast.com every day. And, um, you know, we had HMP hosts doing that. We had HMP listeners doing that. Now, truth be told, it was mostly Dave. <laughs> Dave and the listeners. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so congratulations, Dave. And thank you for. Thank you. Do oh, yeah, what and I, do, which is bring amazing written reviews every single day. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun because I I I, I made it a point to check out some of these newer movies, mm-hmm. um, and again, some that we're probably going to be discussing tonight. Cool. And then Dave and I did the special bonus episode uh, in 105 about the Universal Monsters, which resulted in us starting a new podcast called. Uh, <laughs> The Universal Monsters cast, which I don't think either of us had anticipated as we started prepping for that episode. Um, right, no. But we are going to do it. We're going to cover the Universal Classics as well as the Emerging Monsters universe, and we're going to start this month. So we're going to be kind of like seeing what happens as this new Universal Monsters uh, universe starts, and I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm excited to hear that just as a listener. I'm, I'm- so yeah. grateful that you guys are doing that, and I can't wait for that. Well, Jay was invited, but we don't want him to die from pod of podcasting. <laughs> My wife would yeah. <laughs> assassinate me, but but yeah. no, I I can't wait to hear you guys do it. 
Okay. Well, we'll have you on to review the mummy. <laughs> so you have to watch. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, we finished out the year with our fourth annual installment of Christmas horror, where we brought you Santa killers and killer Santas and a deep dive into a film that's long haunted. Jay Adam green's frozen. Mm. So that was good times. Love it. We did a huge amount of giveaways this year, especially toward the end of 2016 with cool prizes from your horror movie podcast hosts, as well as, Sponsors like IB Trav and Cryptocurium, Horror Block via the Sci-Fi Podcast, and the good folks at Fright Rags. We were able to hook up our listeners with a lot of cool swag and tell them thank you for listening and for all of their support. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, that was mostly it. We we did also, one thing I wanted to mention is we we started out the Dead Serious Horror Challenge. So thank you to our awesome listeners and prize winners who participated in that. We do want to encourage many more entries in 2017. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the episodes to come about the future of the dead serious horror challenge. But that's right. Yeah, it, was a, it was a crazy year and we did a lot of great coverage. It was good. I feel good about it. And it makes me even more excited for this year to come. We've got an exciting year ahead and we've got a lot of great stuff planned. We've been actually for the past at least two years i know that we've been keeping a list of the various themed episodes the various like listener requests and we've got so much good stuff to draw from and that's just setting aside like any new releases because of course Mm -hmm. that's a big focus that's a priority for me but but also like they i mean they sent us so many ideas really cool stuff so we're gonna have some really neat themed episodes this year as well so I hope people stick around for 2017. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that, Josh. That was a great overview. You're in review Excellent. there. And, yep. and just, just so the listeners know, I mean, we have, you can access all of our past episodes, all 108 episodes at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can just scroll back through our website. Josh has these incredible links through these little pictures on the side of the site, which are just amazing buttons huh doc i mean it's like very cool oh yeah they're i I, every i love checking them out every i'll go over and check it out each time a new uh themed episode is posted just to Mm -hmm. just to see what uh what that button is yeah Uh, because they're they're really very clever all of them josh outdoes himself with his artwork (laughs) most of those we mentioned are still in the feed on itunes and stitcher but as jay said um the website has everything because I think iTunes and Stitcher only list about 20 episodes at a time. Is that correct? Yeah. I think I got it set to like 25 and then, yeah. So if you want everything, including like horror metropolis and the weekly horror movie podcast, all that's on our website as well. So there you go. So guys, here we are. I can't stand. I almost can't even stay in my seat any longer. This is, (laughs) this is my favorite thing of the whole year. I mean, seriously, I love this show. And I would argue that the most valuable part of the show is the fact that we do not just the host top 10 lists, and of course I always look forward to your lists, but we get the Horror Movie Podcast collective listenership list where the HMP hive mind comes together. We have listeners send us their lists, and then depending on how they rank them, they are weighted, you know, the, the, the number one movie gets the most points. I'll talk about that more in a little bit. But basically, we are able to determine a collective list. Now, I got some stats on this real quick for you just to get people fired up about it. Um, and honestly, okay, we had 39, 39 submitters 
for this. Now, side note, Movie Podcast Weekly, our sister show, had 37. But for 39 submissions of lists, it, it took me literally like 24 hours of work <laughs> to, oh. to, to tally and Jeez, tabulate. Oh and and I'm not I'm not whining or complaining because like over on MPW I had to do that alone and I was gonna lose my mind <laughs> even though I loved it. Yes, oh, sorry. That's how I felt. Dog sitting right now. I'm not used to that as a factor. <laughs> no, you're the you're the man. It's like how. Um, I, I thought it was a full moon. I know exactly. <laughs> but with me, like this time for horror movie podcast, I got to give a big shout out right here at the top. To my wife, Natalie Piles. Natalie, wow. hater of horror movies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she does not condone or love this podcast, but she actually was a trooper. Last night, we sat up together into the wee hours, and um, she helped me tabulate and organize this information, and it was incredible. And I got a funny side note about that. Um, our, our, our good friend, Bill who's just east of Toronto, in his honorable mentions list, he uh, had the film Night of Something Strange. And his little description by that was necrophilia, bad acting, lots of gore, accidental sodomy. Who wouldn't love this combo? A bloody good time. And so, so my, I know who. <laughs> yes, yeah, my wife Natalie Pyle. So of course she she was um chewing on me a little bit over over that. So thanks for that, Bill. It cracked me up. It was hilarious. But um, I'm just kidding, Bill. It was I, I really appreciate your submission uh, for your list as well. So guys, now Jay, someone who mm-hmm. didn't help you out was me, and I apologize. I I had intended because I know you asked explicitly multiple times for listeners to email you their lists, but not everyone did. Some people left them on the website. Some people sent them via Twitter. Um, were you able to get to those? And if not, that's my fault. No, I, I'm sorry. I did not get to any of those. I only got the 39 emails that came in to the, the... So that is my fault. Although you were warned, Jay said it a lot to email your lists. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, I'm, yeah. I, Hey, I'm glad there are lists out there on the, the website and on Twitter as well. So that's cool. Thanks for sending them. But here's, this is something you'll find interesting of the 39 listeners who are representing the collective. Um, we ended up with 68 different horror films that were among their top 10 and honorable mentions so their top 15 68 different films wow and that ended up coming out to 17 pages like typed pages of tallying scores and then there were 53 pages typed of uh descriptions and write-ups where like the listeners would like send comments so yeah it's 53 pages and it was amazing so i'm gonna actually be well the, the, your hosts here tonight, we're going to be reading some of those as we get down through these movies. So we'll be um, having you hear from the audience as well. And it's super fun. You're going to love the listener list, of course, because it's your list. But also the listener list is very impressive. I always love their list because they do a good job. And just so you know, the listeners have a clear cut, distinct number one horror film really? of 2016 wow. and, and and for fun we were gonna um we were gonna do a little bit of prediction and, and guesswork did you did you want to do some of that josh right now 
Yeah, let's try this. Let's a, a few of our listeners on Twitter just sent what they thought maybe would be our top three. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we could turn around and try to guess what that predict that number one, because I don't know what the listeners number one is. I have no idea, but I want to try to guess. So maybe we could flip that around on them and we could each guess what their number one is. as Well, <laughs> well Jade it. knows. So me and Dave will guess. Right, right. But, okay, so this these are the listeners guesses. The listeners fear that the last descent will make Jay's list. Um, <laughs> Mark and Dino say that it will make it, but not at number one. And Red Cap Jack says it will be number seven. Oh. So uh, <clears throat> they also said that if you consider the Revenant horror, which they don't think you will, that that will be your number one, despite all of them believing that it's a 2015 <laughs> film and that you are insane for considering it a 2016 film. Uh, yes, that was a huge <laughs> controversy over on MPW. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Red Cap Jack guessed that Jay's top three are, and we're not going to say anything. Don't even, you know, right. the best poker faces, guys. Okay. Right, right. Red Cap Jack says Jay's top three are one, The Witch, two, Green Room, three, The Invitation. That Dave's top three are one, Don't Breathe, two, Ten Cloverfield Lane, three, The Conjuring Two. And that my top three are one, The Wailing, two, The Witch, and three, Green Room. Red Cap Jack also predicts that I will ignore his tweet and not read his picks for me because, quote, Red Cap rules and Wolfman drools. So, in your face. Oh, I love it. I do drool. So, I love what that. What do you say about that? Yeah. Okay. One guest via Twitter. <clears throat> Jay's top three are one, The Witch, two, The Invitation, and three, Green Room. I see a pattern there between those last two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave's top three are one, Green Room, two, Cloverfield Lane, and three, The Conjuring 2. I see a little bit of a pattern there as well. And Josh's top three are one, The Wailing, two, Green Room, and three, The Good Neighbor, which is a little bit of a switch up there, Juan. I like that. Mm -hmm. And lastly, Dino guessed that Jay's top three are one, Green Room, two, The Witch, three, The Invitation, Dave's top three are one, The Witch, two, Green Room, and three, Cloverfield Lane. And my top three would be one, The Wailing, two, Green Room, and three, Demon. And he has a little asterisk as well. Dino thinks that the triangle will be in my number 10 if I consider a horror. But the Ghostbusters will sneak into my top 10 (laughs) if I don't consider the triangle horror. Oh, that's hilarious to me. I love this. Yeah. So that's those are our listeners' predictions. Um, so the Josh, one I'm most interested in is whether Dark Mark, Dino, and Red Cap Jack are correct. That the Last Descent will indeed make your horror list. <laughs> well, do me, do, please do me a favor. So after we re- all after all is revealed and it's all out on the table, let's revisit that because um I would like to comment on what they picked, but we can't comment right now. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, um, thank you for that. That's pretty interesting. So, what? That's d- pretty cool, Doctor Shock. What do you think the listener top three is then? Boy, that's tough. <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, just looking at some of what I had seen on on uh, on Twitter, and uh, I'm going to go with I'll go with the the green room, uh, ten Cloverfield Lane. A third one. I don't know. It's sort of all over the place. There's a lot of different movies. You well, know there what? was I'll a decisive number one. Are you saying that that is Green Room? I'm thinking it's Green Room, yes. And I'll go with Green Room, um, 10 Clover Lane, and I guess Don't Breathe. I'm just going to throw that one out there. I don't I don't know if that, that one was very high on 
some of the lists I saw, but I, I don't know what the emails are, so I'm just going to go with Don't Breathe. Okay, all right. And uh, what about you, Wolfman? What do you say, listener? Top three. I, I'm okay. Top three. Ooh, okay. Um, I, I'm having a hard time guessing the number one. I think it is either going to be The Witch or Train to Busan. I just think the Train to Busan has the problem that maybe not as many people have seen it. So I'm going to go The Witch, Train to Busan, and Green Room for the listener top three. Okay. All right. <sighs> Excellent. Well, I have, I have noted those. And so we will, we will look at that again here shortly. We're almost ready to start revealing the list, but before we do, I would actually like everybody to meet the 39 steps, the, uh, the HMP contributors who have made up the collective hive <laughs> mind here. So, these are the people who submitted comments and so forth. And they actually, some a couple of them, I have some comments here that I'm going to have my buddies here help me read in certain cases. So, uh, number one, we got, we got a submission from Cora Jane in Salt Lake City. Got her list. We got Kagan in Salt Lake City. We got Brian S. from St. Louis. And Brian says, I'm a huge cinephile with the horror genre being very close to my heart since I was a child. Sadly, I know zero people who feel the same way, not just in horror, but film in general. I consider mm. all of you to be great friends and brothers of mine in some weird sense. Like brothers, I want to strangle each of you sometimes for your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I love you and respect your thoughts and appreciate you for the genre. So uh, I love that, Brian. Thank you. And yes, we are your brothers and we're your friends. So... And, and then number four was um, Elena, Elena Klein. She says, it's nice to know I'm not the only horror fan out there. Lonely sometimes. So you, what you have there, I mean, you, we get some recurring themes here as far as like people yeah. saying they feel like the community helps them feel connected. Dr. Shock, do you want to read what Dino in Cleveland, he sent his list. Do you want to read what Dino has to say? Absolutely. Dino says, I feel like we're beginning to see a revolution in the horror genre over these last two or three years. An influx of excellent indie offerings, along with some fantastic foreign entries, have really elevated the genre. We're also seeing a change in what is considered horror. No longer is the genre simply defined by the mindless slashes or supernatural jump scares of the previous few decades. Don't get me wrong. I love that type of film as much as the next horror fan. But the modern horror film has become more ambiguous and more interesting, exploring complex themes of internal horror. Movies like 2014's The Babadook or The Witch and Demon from this year explore deeper feelings of paranoia and psychological disorder. Maybe that's why we find ourselves discussing what is horror so much lately. This year was one of the best for horror in recent memory. Excellent. Thank you, Dino. And I, and I, and I mm -hmm. do tend to agree with him as far as 2016. I think it was a really strong uh, year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got Dino's list in the mix. We've got uh, Oliver Ox sent a list. And then, Josh, you want to read Gabby Mora from Chicago by way of Philadelphia? Yeah, Gabby says, I am a faithful listener and finally decided to stop being shy and become a part of the HMP community. Your podcast truly got me into horror movies, even to the point that besides Rogue One, I cannot remember the last non-horror movie I watched. My roommate hates me. <laughs> 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 yeah, great. I, I feel the same. I did not watch too many non-horror films this year, and I, I went to the theater recently a few times with my with my wife to watch La La Land and The Nice Guys and some movies that she wanted to watch. And every time, I regretted it because I thought, "Dang it, I didn't get 
all of the the horror movies watched I wanted to see for my list. So yes, yeah, that's an addiction. That but. old problem. I know, I know. Well, I'm glad Gabby has stopped being shy and has joined us. Um, we also had a list from Ian West and Dark Mark. And then Brian Maloney wrote to us. He said, I only discovered Horror Movie Podcast a few weeks ago, but it's really helped me get back into horror. I've been revisiting old favorites, watching films I missed, and really scouting out new releases again. So thank you for that. I had forgotten how much I enjoyed the genre. That's super cool. And then we got Greg, the gray man from Ohio. We got Juan in Texas. We got Michelle Ogle. She sent us her list. We got Buffy Slay Her. I like that name, Heather. It's nice. great. Uh, Rob from Belgium. We got Michael Fitzgerald. Michael said, I didn't see many new film releases this year, but I still wanted to contribute to your show, which I greatly enjoy. And of course, we heard from Ann Dredd. And then Dr. Shock, here's a, an old friend of ours, Tim, who goes by Jan Gell's twin. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, nice. great. You remember, nice. you remember that? I uh, love it. <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah. Okay, Dave. And then, um, I think uh, Andred's another of the Ohio contingent. And uh, Michael Fitzgerald's from New York. And Buffy Slayer, I think, is from Canada. So it's fun to see these spread all over the map. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely. love that, too. So Dr. Shaka sent you uh, Daniel Rimple wrote to us. What, what did he have to say? Okay, so Daniel says, thanks for making Horror Movie Podcast my very favorite podcast to listen to. I've been listening for about three years, and I've heard every episode, some more than once. This year, I decided to make a point of seeing enough new horror movies to compile a top ten list, inspired largely by my enjoyment of listening to your annual summary of the year in horror movies. Thank you, Daniel. That's excellent. And then we yeah. got <laughs> we got Sal Roma, who loves to bust our chops. And let me just tell you, he signs his name on his list. Sal, no escape isn't a horror movie. Roma. <laughs> so uh, touche, Sal. That was pretty funny. So we also heard from Jonathan Watkins. He wrote a really nice email. I just want to say thanks, Jonathan. I won't share it all here, but in short, he said he had a kind of a tough year in 2016, like a lot of people. And he said a horror movie podcast and the movie podcast network helped him through it. So I uh, just want to thank you, brother. You're part of the family, and uh, we ha we got your back, Jonathan. We also heard from Jason Dragon. We heard from Jody B. from Ohio, and he said he's watched and ranked precisely 100 of the about 170 2016 horror films so far. Wow, that's awesome. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Jody, that's, that's great. hardcore. I love it. Colin yeah. C. sent his uh, Poison the Well sent his list. Frank Wiswell sent his. And then um, we have uh, Luke Burnend, who's the co-host of the Dead Last podcast, which is kind of a comedy horror movie podcast. And that's based out of Boston. If people want to check it out, you should. And then we got Bill, just east of Toronto, the guy who got me in trouble. No, I'm just kidding, Bill. We got Cake Wolf. <laughs> I love that name, Cake Wolf, by the way. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Shan. Yeah. Shannon, who's been with us for a long time, and if I recall correctly, Shannon hails from Iowa. We got Gareth Young, and then we got um, Robert Salinas. And I just want to say, guys, another little plug. He says, bring on the Universal Horror Podcast. I'm so ready. And he sent, he had a photo. He's got like the whole like box set, and he's ready to join you guys on it. So Nice. 
That's great. Super Gareth cool. is another of our UK listeners. And uh, Colin, who you mentioned, mm-hmm. is from Scotland. And Colin actually sent us a little message here um, on the website. He said uh, he had you know, wished us a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. He said, on a personal note, it's been a rough 2016. And I owe it to the HMP gang for serving as an escape. It's been somewhere I can turn and get lost in the intelligent, thought-provoking, and funny-for-hour journeys. Here's to the new year, new year scares, and continued success. So thanks, Colin. We appreciate that. Absolutely. We, um, number 33, it was uh, Fiona Odom, and then we had Victor Rodriguez, Centralist, and then we got Mike from the Back Row Podcast, Centralist, Joe McGregor, Old Faithful, you always count on Joe McGregor, guys. And then we had our good friend, uh, Projectile Varmint. She's yes. A, she's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big definitely. fan of hers, yeah. by the way. And then we got Frank the Fiend. And he says, uh, it was so funny. He wrote in there, I think I played by Jay's rules, but if not, then whatever. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a funny Twitter conversation today that went up. It was Dino had said, Hey guys, you know, happy podcasting. It's finally time for the top 10 of 2016. Um, he says, I can't wait to listen and hear the discussion. Hopefully Jay of the dead sticks to horror films this year. <laughs> and, uh, there was a little back and forth between some of the listeners as to whether or not you would in fact stick to horror films this year. <laughs> but Frank, the fiend says horror films. Yes. Our definition of horror, not likely. <laughs> <laughs> I, love the uh, I love it that's what i'm here for stir it up and then our number 39 she was actually it turns out the first person who submitted her list was slashly slashly g <laughs> i love that nice <laughs> okay so those are our contributors they are the ones who emailed their list and they are representative of the horror movie podcast community and in case you're wondering whether that is a sufficient sample size. Number one, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to handle much bigger. We're going to have to use a computer program next year. Yeah, yeah. have a computer do it for us. It's got to have, like, Jody can give us his amazing list of 170 horror releases. Yes. And people are just going to have to do it as a poll and type in their, yeah. their 10 picks. It would be cool still to get, like, people to send us their comments on their number one film or maybe their most out of the box mm-hmm. film. Yeah. But uh yeah, you can't you can't do this, Jay. You can't do twenty four hours of tabulating <laughs> and fifty three pages of comments every year. <laughs> yeah, I mean it because it's only growing. I mean it, it keeps growing each year. So um yeah, it's gonna get too nuts. But we're we're still gonna figure out something. So here's how this is built in case you're wondering and then I promise we're getting into it. We're gonna start with the number ten here in just a moment. But when the listeners sent their list, one through ten, their number one pick, since it is their number one, it's weighted with the most points, so it got 12 points. And then the number two pick was 10 points. Number three was nine, four, eight, and so forth, all the way down to the number 10 pick, which a number 10 pick only gets the film two points. And then for each of the five honorable mentions, it's just one point, no matter if it was number 11 or number 15. They just get one point. So can I ask you why not just do one for one? Because I know you have a reason. So I just want to I'm curious what that is. And I bet some of our listeners are wondering. Too. Well, well, because I wanted to weight the value of being higher on the list. And that's yeah. that's particularly why number one actually got 
um, two points, you know, you know, like two additional points, not just, not just like number 11, you know? Yeah. So it, it's pretty cool. So it really helps. Like if you, if your film, if you get a lot of number one picks, it gets a little more boost there. Cause I think that says something. If people are put it like they're committing, this is the number one best horror film of the year. That's a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Well, let's start it out. If you guys are ready here, let's, we'll kick it off with the HMP listenerships collective number 10 pick. And it is, the autopsy of Jane Doe. Wow. <laughs> I am surprised that made it up there because it has not been out that long and it's been hard to get a hold of, but I think it's an excellent pick at number 10. Um, that is one I'll just say right now did not make my top 10, but it was definitely in consideration for my top 10. I think for me personally, it's unfortunately one we have not had a chance to review on the show yet because it, it did come out so late in the year. But we'll talk about that soon in 2017 when we have a Frankensteinian episode. Um, for me, it kind of uh, story-wise does not hold together that great for me toward the end. It's incredible for the first like two thirds, though. I was thinking, man, this this is in serious contention for breaking into my top five, which had been locked for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I really enjoyed that movie quite a bit. That's excellent. Yeah, I mean, I I am I'll be honest, I'm kind of unfamiliar with that one. I learned about it primarily through these top 10 lists and I wanted to try to get to it by the end, but so I haven't seen it yet, but I'm dying to see it now, especially since it is the listener number 10. Dr. Shark, do you want to read about um Brian Maloney had to say about that one? If you want the short answer as to why it's on my list, it's that I don't I didn't know the tropes. As the movie progressed and more information on the mysterious Jane was uncovered, it asked more questions rather than answering the ones I already had, all the time amping up the dread. Extremely unconventional and well-crafted. Yeah. Listener Juan in Texas says, The autopsy of Jane Doe, one of the most fun, original, and unpredictable horror movies of the year. The first half is engaging and intense, but once the film's cards are laid out on the table, this thing cranks itself to 11 and doesn't let go until the very end. And, um... I agree with that. You know, I think in, there are so many movies. I'm going to say this a lot. Any other year, this would have made my top 10, no question. This year, there were just so many strong contenders. I couldn't, it couldn't break in. And um, this is really good. It's really good. And I think people will be surprised by this film. I don't want to say anything about it because the joy in this film is not knowing anything. And you're just like, what is happening? Kind of the whole time. Um, I think to just be nitpicky, and the reason it didn't make my top 10 is there's just one scene of exposition, kind of like in Lights Out that we've talked about, mm-hmm. which is like, why did they put this in here? And uh. to me, that there's this one scene with Brian Cox, who's an incredible actor, and he acts it well, that for me just kind of killed it. And, or, and not killed it in a bad way, like just kept it out of my top 10 you know, for this year. I got you. Okay. Yeah, I'm super intrigued because like uh, Buffy Slay Her, for example, says, I was late to the party on this film, but I'm so glad that I watched The Autopsy of Jane Doe because it mm-hmm. shook up my top 10 list. I love yeah. mysteries and whodunits, which I know Josh loves those. So the first half of the film had me constantly guessing what was going on with every new discovery. So yeah. that was incredible. And then um, I just wanted to tell people here. So I'm, I'm looking over the list here. All Sal, of course, Sal Roma says, a giant mystery with a conclusion I wasn't expecting, nor is it overly common, he says. 
<laughs> so <laughs> anyways, um, uh, I mean, there's nothing about this film that is familiar. It's weird. It's a, it's totally unique in that way, man. I'm kind of, I'm second guessing myself because right. it was such a late <laughs> viewing for me, but, um, yeah, I, it, I love the way this film unravels and it's slow and it's simple, but effective. And it's way more grisly than you would expect because just for the fact that they're doing an autopsy and this is like a wrists, elbows deep kind of autopsy and it's happening the entire time in full technicolor. And so um, despite it not, you know, it, it gets to, you know, traditional horror territory, you know, later on in the film, as people have alluded to, but even the part that's not traditionally horror is pretty gruesome to watch. Awesome. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I mean, and we had, um, just so everybody knows out there, I mean, th this was pretty high on some lists too. Like Gabby had it at her number two, Michael Fitzgerald had it as number two. So, um, serious business. So that, that's the number 10 listener pick, uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe. We had about, I'm just estimating here. Um, it looks like we had at, at least like 20 people had that somewhere on their list. So really great go. pick guys. Really great pick. Yeah. Okay, so Dr. Shock, before you give your number 10, tell us how you went about tallying your list and, and how did you decide what were your top 10 horror movies? Um, well, it wasn't easy. I got to be honest with you because there was a time when, well, a good number of the ones that are coming in as my honorable mentions were in the top 10. And I just really, I went, I mean, I really just started watching. I mean, I was watching three or four a day of, of the wow. newer horror releases. I was watching on Amazon, mostly Amazon. Netflix was not as great an option this year for some reason. Um, a few of them that I did have on DVD, but the majority of them were on Amazon. Uh, we're online. We're streaming, uh, which is uh, something I don't normally do on a regular basis just because of the blog with it being DVD and, and Blu-ray. But what I did was I just, for me, it's all gut feeling, you know, like I like this one a little bit better than this one. I like this one, you know, and, and okay, uh, till I got to the point that I think I texted you guys and said, I just saw my, what I think is going to be my number one movie of the year and without giving you the title. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it is. That movie nice. is my number one movie of the year. Um, so it is just a lot of uh, of gut feeling for me. I don't really break it down by points or anything like that. Or okay, it's just kind of how it goes. But um, all right. So. And this is uh, this is a new experience for me because this is the first year I'm able to participate, or that I that I am participating in this just because uh, the blog had tied up so much time. But honestly, I I I didn't really want to miss this year in October uh, seeing some of the newer movies. Uh, just, I was like, wow, this is, these, these are really good. And I, I, I wanted to, as I hear you guys talking about them and everyone else talking about them, I was like, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss this year. I got to do whatever it takes to, to make myself a part of it this year. And, um, I was, I was damn glad I did. I really am. Well, excellent. So yeah. let's see, let's awesome. you got me in suspense now. So what's your number 10 then? Okay. My number 10 movie of 2016 is the other side of the door. Mm. All right. This this is um, in many ways it's a standard supernatural, uh, and it owes a little something to well the monkey's paw, but even more uh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Uh, it is about a, a family. They live in India, and this woman um, 
they're not of of they're not Hindu, but they live in India. Um, their son dies in an accident, and the mother is just distraught, uh, attempts suicide at one point. Uh, well, they have a, a live-in servant, and she tells them of a place in her hometown, a temple that dates back, you know, hundreds of years, where they say that if you spread the ashes of the deceased on the steps and walk into the temple and lock the door, sometime in the night you will be able to communicate with the spirit and you can give your final goodbyes. Whoa. Um, because the son died very tragically. Uh, however, there's one very important rule. Do not open the door. So I think you know <laughs> what happens. Uh, and that's sort of where the story goes. Uh, like I said, a lot of the, the, the scare scenes are standard supernatural variety, which I'm, I'm becoming much more of a supernatural fan uh, than I've been in, in past years. But one of the things I really like about this is the setting. I mean, it was shot in India. And from what I understand, this temple where they shot you know, the, the, the sort of pivotal scene there is an ancient temple and this is a true belief. Like this is actually steeped in, in, um, in Hindu mythology or, or Hindu beliefs that this is, this is something that you can do to spread the ashes and, and that the spirit will visit you uh, sometime that night, which I thought was fascinating. I, I thought, um, uh, you know, the, the lead actress in the movie uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah Wayne Callis, she plays the mother, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Sisto plays the father, but even more than that was the little girl. They have a daughter, um, who survived, I think so Sophia Rosinski, um, was her name and she was really strong in the movie as well. Uh, it, it just really, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was, it was a fun watch for me. It's not the most original, but the setting was enough to do it for me to, that it made it into my number 10. Nice. That's excellent. So that's Dr. Strzok's number 10, the other side of the door. What were you going to say, Wolfman? I was just saying nice. That, that was one that I have heard of, but it was not on my radar. I, when he said it, I recognized the name, but it was not one that I was even thinking about this year. So I was glad to hear about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. And um, I'm glad you brought that one to the table. It's one that I just just sort of seen about it. And I said, OK, this looks kind of fun. Let me check it out. And it, it did impress me. Jason Dragon had mentioned it um, and and he was kind of like in the mid range with it. And we had a couple other people who didn't love it as much as you. But I'm intrigued by your premise. And it sounds it reminds me a little bit of Monkey's Paw. So that makes me want to see it. Actually. Well, that's exactly mm-hmm. it. Monkey's Paw and also at um, uh, Pet Cemetery, which I thought might have even appealed to you a little bit more. Yeah, there's definitely shades of Pet Cemetery in there as well. I, love, I love, you know, as I've mentioned, and we'll mention many times, I love having this horror convention from a foreign country that we aren't familiar with the ghost or the threat. And so it makes the film even more of a mystery and that's cool. Right. That, makes, that makes me interested in seeing it. Super cool. Okay. So um, I'll go next here with my number 10. Now, when I went to compile my list, you guys, I, I, I heard so much grief last year, just so everybody knows. I really wanted to be extra careful to make sure that I got things that were clear-cut horror films this year because I didn't want to hear a bunch of grief. So (laughs) You guys bullied Jay into submission. Take that, everybody. No Escape is still my favorite horror film of that year, Uh but I'm just saying this year I was careful to make sure that they were all full-blown, full-bore horror. And really what I went by was the the visceral experience for me 
like to what degree they scared me or had me on the edge of my seat and so forth. So those were my determining factors. So my number 10 is Clown from 2016. This was released wide in the U.S. in nice. uh, June, and it was nice, an yeah. internet release. This was directed by John Watts and stars Andy Powers, who plays a good dad who finds a clown costume that he wears to his son's birthday party. The only problem is he can't take the costume off. So one thing I love about this film is that you've got... It's a really interesting type of um, horror film because it reminds me of those where somebody's stuck in a situation that becomes deadlier the longer they're stuck in it. And that's really what kind of film this is too because the longer he has the clown costume on, the worse things become for him. And uh, this is... For me, I mean, of course I love It, and there are a couple other clown movies I actually really enjoy. So I I do like a number of clown movies. I'm not disregarding those, but I think this is the most effective clown horror movie out there. Um, hmm. I, I think it's genuinely creepy. I, I love where it goes. Yeah, I love some of the imagery. I don't want to spoil any of the surprises, no. but some of, some of the imagery that we see in this film is quite good. So, uh, yeah, Clown yeah. from 2016. It didn't make my list. I think this is one of those examples where last year this would have absolutely made my honorable mentions. I, I like that it's on your list. I think it's a really strong pick. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, 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 it didn't make my list either, but I agree with you. It is a, it's, a good, it's a really good movie, and it has a, one of those things you like in there with, uh, with children in peril. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. You know, it, it's one of the ones that goes there. And I also liked how they set up the guy to be uh, – you know, his, his obviously the, his wife and his son love him, but the, the wife's family really treats this guy awful. <laughs> yes. they, it's almost like they treat him like a clown. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Uh, and I, I like that little dynamic that they did, just kind of threw in there, too. They don't always draw attention to it, but it's always sort of there. Yeah, and, and I like that you said that, too, Dr. Shaw, because it reminds me of some of the, the subtext, some of the themes in this. It's like... Um, what is it like as a parent? Like, if your kids kind of view you as a clown or your family members view you where they they can't take you seriously or people aren't taking you seriously. I mean, there's just, there's some interesting little um, undercurrents in this film that I think are cool. But uh, Colin, Colin Campbell, he had this at his number 10 as well. And then um, Elena Klein had it as her number eight. And then Andred had it as his number eight as well. Nice. So, so there you have it. All right, Wolfman Josh, uh, tell us how you went about picking your top 10 horror movies of 2016 and let us hear your number 10. I always kind of balance my top 10 between what I thought the greatest film achievements were and what I just had the most fun watching. Um, and fun could be classified, I guess, as... Uh, you know, uh, technical appreciation. It could be counted as terrified me and I was really afraid. It could be classified as it was a romp, you know, and kind of that kind of a good time. So that's uh, a pretty broad net, but I, I kind of try to pick like, these are the best films slash the ones I love the most that came out this year. It was such a great year for horror. I think I saw somewhere in the realm of like 45 horror movies this year. I'm going to guess. I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, but I really liked like really actively enjoyed about 30 
to 33 horror movies this year. <laughs> and so we're talking, if you take a top 10 as you know what it is, we're talking about 20 to 23 honorable mentions that could have been on my list. And literally, although my top five are solid and my top four have been solid for a while, um, the net, the rest of them are kind of interchangeable for, uh, you know, the next 20 or so films because I really liked them that much. And so I had a really difficult time coming up with my bottom five. Um, and I used a, a couple of these for kind of activism, I guess you might say the way Jay of the dead put no escape is number one. I think I, the, some of my lower, uh, films on my list are <clears throat> films. I hope people will check out. <laughs> and so, um, my number 10 is, was one such film. I really wanted to keep this in my top 10 and I struggled and it, and it left and then came back and then left and came back. And, um, I'm really glad it landed here. It is they're watching and, oh, and yes. yeah, this was a movie that really put an interesting spin on the found footage formula. It was one that I think did found footage in a way that I hadn't really seen before. It took it seriously in a way that very few, few films do and pull off. And in the same breath that I'm saying it took it seriously, it was also very funny. Now, a lot of people experience this as a comedy. That was not my experience. I saw this as a horrific, dread-inducing situation in which the characters are funny people. So I was laughing a lot, but I, I did take the threat seriously the entire time. And so when it got to the end and the end was less than horrific and, and a little more comedic and over the top, that was a big disappointment for me. And that knocked down my appreciation for the film quite a bit to the ending, but it wasn't enough to uh, keep this film off my list. So, you know, this was uh, kind of a first time horror film from Micah Wright and Jay Lender and Jay Lender. And both of these guys have a kind of a career in animation and, and, and Jay Lender has a long history with like SpongeBob SquarePants and stuff like that. They also do the call of duty black ops uh, stuff. So it was cool to see these guys get a chance to make a movie and to choose to do a horror movie and to do one that was so good. And so original, despite being in probably one of the most overdone genres out there, uh, I really appreciated their watching. You know, I haven't seen that one, but I'll tell you who's right there with you is uh, Gareth Young. He had it as as an honorable mention, so he's right there nice. with you. Nice. Mm -hmm. Excellent. One of the things that that I think got me, Josh, and I, I see where people think it was it was comedy, but the setting of Eastern Europe. There's something about that setting that, for me, it's one of the. It's probably the most frightening setting i mean i yeah it fright it frightens me more than cannibal villages in south america yeah um, wow these 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 eastern european um it really does not paint any of it in the picture that hey, it's a place i'd like to visit you, you know and and i think yeah. that was one of the things that stuck with me you're right these are funny characters and they're doing funny things and the ending is way over the top i did see it a little bit more comedic because of the characters early on you're right it's not so much that what's happening is funny but they were funny yeah by the time the ending came yeah there is a lot of comedy ha happening there uh it didn't i don't think it, it, it ruined it quite as much for me uh, as it did for you um but it did uh it, i'm just gonna say it made my honorable mentions yeah and I'll, I'll mention that one because i actually have six honorable mentions instead of the usual five so <laughs> okay that'll be the one I, that'll be the one i spoil it did make my honorable mention okay Fair enough. 
That's I think this great. is one people should check out, and it's uh, it's on Netflix for streaming for a subscription, so uh, people with Netflix can watch it right away. There's a very inexpensive yet very nice DVD that's out, so uh, I got that too, and I recommend people checking this one out. Nice. All right, this is Josh's number 10, and it is They're Watching. Okay, so now we are to the Listener Collective number 9 pick, and it is The Conjuring 2. <laughs> Now, uh, we, we actually had a lot of people do this one. I'm just uh, estimating here. It looks like about 25 people had this somewhere on their list. Oliver had it as number three. And then just going down through, I mean, a few of these were pretty high up. Fiona had it at number four. Frank had it at number three. And let me see what kind of comments we have on this one. Josh, let them know what um, Slashly G has to say. All right. Slashly says, The Conjuring 2, The Warrens kick supernatural ass again in England helping a single mother of four fight spirits attacking their children. And, uh, yeah, I, I am with you, Slashly. thought this was a lot of fun. This one didn't ultimately make my top ten. Um, I just, for me, it was in there for a long time. This is one of those that just held on tight and did not want to get out of my top ten. But in a year where there were so many amazing original concepts, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick a sequel out and put in a completely original concept, but I love that this is based on a true story. I know that that is in question in terms of how much the Warrens were involved and what type of people they are, but the Warrens to me are the most exciting and I see them as fictional kind of characters in horror right now. I love them in cinema right now. You know, people want to do all the young filmmakers nowadays are trying to get like, how do I get a Marvel movie? How do I get a Star Wars movie? How do I get into these big franchises? I would want to direct a Warren's movie. Like, give me the Warren's with especially with these actors, with Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. They are so good together, in my opinion. And uh, didn't make my top 10, but I love this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, there are other years where this could have been in my top three. Well, sure. I totally agree. Yeah, if this were one of the the lesser years, it, yeah, it like would've... in 2012, when my only two horror picks were only in my on my overall list, I only had two horror movies in my overall list, and they were both honorable mentions, and they were Sinister and Silent House. That <laughs> year, The Conjuring Two could have been number one or number two. Oh yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, we had our, our buddy the Gray Man from Ohio. Greg had it at nine number nine and he said a sequel that still gave the frights and scares like its predecessor the monster was jump off the seat for me and i totally agree and in fact gray man i'll just say it right now that that may have been the the scariest monster for me in 2016 i love that monster design so excellent let me see if there's anybody else um one in texas Josh, you want to read what Juan had to say about The Conjuring 2? I would love to read anything Juan has to say. <laughs> uh, Juan says, the original film didn't need a sequel, but if we had to have one, I'm glad it's the film we ended up with. Not nearly as well executed as the original one. I take issue with that. But a definite standout in a year full of standouts. And I agree. I agree. It's good. Okay, Dave, and let us know what Jason Dragon has to say about The Conjuring 2. Absolutely. Uh, Jason says, this is far scarier and superior to the original. The fact that the filmmakers gave gave us their version of the Amityville haunting as the opening scene showed utter confidence and fortitude for what was to follow that. So happy this will be added to my yearly Christmas horror viewing list. 
involves one of the most heartwarming scenes of the year involving a guitar. <laughs> he gave it a nine out of ten. And um, yeah, I'm with him. You know, there, there was there was a lot to like. And I think after one or two more viewings, I think this this could eclipse the original for me as well. I still really I can't say anything negative about the original. I really, really love it. But this one, it, it's right up there. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, I've got a comment here from Luke Bernard. Luke says, this was a year for some really well-done horror sequels. The first to come out was The Summers of the Conjuring 2. James Wan knows what he's doing here and is clearly having fun. His direction gives the film genuine scares, is well-paced, and manages to keep its composure as a haunted house movie without getting too outlandish in the third act. 1977 North London makes for a better horror movie atmosphere than 2016. It's a scarier time now for ver- different reasons, none of which anyone wants to see a movie about. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. All right, well, th- thank you. That was the listener's uh, number nine pick. It was The Conjuring 2, and now we're ready for Dr. Shock's number nine. Okay, my number nine is one I saw sort of banting around toward the end there on the comment boards, and I did get a chance to check it out today, and I really, really enjoyed it. It is I Am Not a Serial Killer. Nice. This, uh, it has Max Records in it as a young man who uh, is displaying uh, the personality of a, a serial killer or, or a killer or somebody who could hurt people. Uh, he has, um, and it's interesting to see what he's doing. You know, he has these rules set up to keep himself from, from hurting other people, but yet he's still sort of fascinated by it. So when an actual serial killer comes to town and he ends up being the only one who knows who this killer is, um, and, and following them around, he doesn't go to the authorities. It's, it's almost because he's just so fascinated by the whole thing that, that he's just researching it. And, and at the same time, it's repulsing him. Um, and he ends up getting himself directly involved. Uh, this has Christopher Lloyd in it, who a lot of people will remember from the old Taxi series as Reverend Jim and many other things. Obviously, Back to the Future, um, uh, One for the Cuckoo's Nest. He was in a lot of movies. He's in this film. Um, and Max Records, of course, I think the last time I saw him, he was in um, Where, the, uh, Where the Wild Things Are, uh, as, yeah. as, you know, much younger at that time. Yeah. Uh, this is another winter. I mean, this is almost always cold or snow um, that this movie is set in. Um, it does go in, an, in, a, in a direction I was not expecting as far as the killer. Uh, maybe at the very end, it it goes a little, I don't know. I, I can't even say because I want to watch this again. I really do want to see this movie again. Um, if anything, the very end might go just a little bit too, you know, um, with, with regard to the killer uh, as to what the ultimate, like what ultimately happens with, with, with this killer. Yeah. Well, it's a movie that switches directions on you and that's yeah. ultimately what kept it off my list. Although I think it's, it's a great pick was uh, it really kind of switches things up at the very end. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I just, I love, I really did love this movie and I can't yeah. wait to, to buy it and, and watch it again. This didn't make my top 10, but this is another one. Any other year it's on my top 10 for sure. Uh, Max records. I loved and where the wild things are. I think he's yeah as good or better than this. And he mm-hmm. reminds me, honestly, I, I could have sworn that I was watching a young Lou Pucci. I don't know if you guys saw Thumbsucker in 2005, which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite, uh, kind of dramedies, especially that era. Um, Lupucci is so good 
but um, he, I swear, he looks exactly like him. It was, it was kind of bizarre, actually. <laughs> but yeah, The Good Neighbor is excellent. Jay, I don't know. Did you see this one, Jay? No, I have not seen it. Um, it's interesting because the uh, the young man who's in it, uh, well, the 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 person who wrote the book is from Salt Lake City. Neat. And went to college in the town that I live in uh, at Brigham Young University, and he's good friends with the fantasy writer Brandon Sanderson, who uh, was in you know my wife's English program at BYU, oh, and so wow. I have kind of those weird connections to it. And it's cool to see someone from this culture and area doing a horror movie, which is uncommon actually in this area, and and such a crazy one. And and yeah, for the first three-fourths of this movie, I thought this might be my favorite movie of the year. It's one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, but it it deviates enough for me at the end that I was just kind of like, oh, it's still good, but it's just not the movie I was excited about, um, which was a little bit of a disappointment for me, but still made, you know, it's it's still great. That's, well, I mean, you got a lot of listeners supporting you on that pick, Dr. Shock, as well. I mean, we got, it ended up on about, um, probably 15 to 18 people's lists and we've wow. actually got a few comments here um so Pro- projectile varmint said wow what a great movie with outstanding acting i was on the edge of my seat the entire time even the ending was fulfilling brian s from st louis says a nice surprise that came out of nowhere proving that christopher lloyd is still awesome and then um josh you have a comment there too yeah, Jody Horror Guy says, besides horror films, I love coming of age stories and character dramas. This movie blends all three of those perfectly and was so good, it made me buy the book series. Christopher Lloyd still got it. He really does. He really does. And Jody says, 8.5 out of 10 for him. Man, yeah, it's great. It's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, Daniel Rempel, uh, Dino, and Cleveland. I mean, we had, we had a, man, a bunch of people like this one, Doc, so they back you on it. Excellent. All right, so that is Dr. Shock's number nine. It is I Am Not a Serial Killer. <laughs> and we'll move into Jay of the Dead's number nine. And this is uh, one of my most enjoyable experiences of the year, and it is The Boy. <laughs> Dr. Shock loves this one. I know he does. He, he's, <laughs> he loves the ride. Hey, you know what? I gave it, I gave it a six, and I said, I, I said it was a rental. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just, I I didn't like the ending. Well, here's the thing about the the boy, everybody. Um, This was released wide in U.S. theaters January 22nd, Carl Huddleston's birthday. And I saw it on opening day and I had a blast. It was directed by William Brent Bell. It stars Lauren Cohen, that adorable gal of Walking Dead fame. And it's about an American nanny who travels to England for a babysitting gig but when she arrives, she discovers that the boy, whose name is Brahms, this is the boy she's been asked to babysit, he's actually just a doll. And the boy's parents give her strict rules that she must follow to properly care for Brahms. But like every character in movies where they have rules to follow, <laughs> she breaks the rules and suffers unwanted consequences. Now, Wolfman Josh, did you end up getting around to this one yet? Um, no, this was one that I really tried to get to because, um, I had no interest in it whatsoever as well as another film pet, uh, no interest in it, but I got chastised by the listeners. They said, Hey, you really should check these movies out. They're worth watching. 
And um, I felt a little bit bad about that. And I was kind of get after you, Jay. I said, Jay's so close minded. <laughs> <laughs> but so am I. And I don't, if I think I'm not going to like something, I have a hard time convincing myself to sit down and watch it. And so I honestly, I tried really hard to watch The Boy and Pet, but my schedule, I waited too long and my schedule did not allow for it. So I, that's a huge regret of mine. And even though I'm not excited about seeing either of those films, I am going to dedicate myself to watching them early in 2017. Uh, for the listeners okay well good i'm glad to hear it because the thing is i recently this past year i had this debate with my mom my own necromomicon about a movie and if 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 one doesn't like the ending which by the way i like the ending to the boy i'll just put that out there dr shock doesn't but i do but if one doesn't like the ending does it ruin everything that came before it and for my mom she just she hates that in a movie. So like, you know, it was um, that amazing movie, not a horror film. It was called Sorcerer from 1977. My mom hated the ending. So then she hated the whole film, even though it's like this masterpiece cinema. Well, yeah. the boy has something in horror that I think we've kind of lost touch with. And that is genuine suspense. I mean, it really builds up the suspense. You feel it. I was a very uneasy. And here's the thing. I'm I'm not afraid of evil kids because I think I could beat them up and I'm not afraid of um <laughs> dolls. And so Brahms he, he not only is it a doll but it's the doll the, the size of a little boy. So it's like surely I could take Brahms. Well, <laughs> when you watch this movie though, it, it's um for the way that this is handled it, it's more unsettling to me, or at least equally as unsettling as something like Annabelle. So, I mean, this is very effective. And so, even if you don't love where this movie goes, um, I, I think, like I've said before, there's joy in the journey. And I think it's just worth feeling the suspense of it the whole time. I, I think that it's really worth your time. So, I had a bunch of people. Let's see, we get about, yeah, I'd say about 17 people. Um, really dig this film. In fact, uh, Cake Wolf had it as his number one film of the year, as well as Victor Rodriguez had it at number one. And I'm really excited about that. Frank the Fiend had it down as his number two. Wow. So, awesome. That's some, uh, and you know what? It is very suspenseful. I mean, there are some uh, very uh, intense scenes in the movie. And one of the things I did really like about it was how it – went into her background and how she sort of opened up to this, uh, to, to, to the situation more than you figured she was going to. I really liked how the, how the movie went, uh, in, in that way. Um, I don't want to get into too much about the ending because it'll get into spoilers, mm -hmm. but I was on board. I mean, this is a movie that for a lot of the runtime, it could have made, it could have made my list at least as an honorable mention. Um, mm. But it just it, it it was there was an event right before the ending that started to turn me off a little bit. Again, I don't want to get into into any of that right now. But uh, and, and it involves a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. It didn't make a lot of sense. I don't want to go into. But that's okay. where I started to like groan a little bit. It started, but I didn't. It didn't. That didn't ruin it. I thought, okay, well, you know, they could, might be able to get past this, and then. When the ultimate reveal came around, I was just kind of like, oh, boy. 
I'm with you on the joy and the journey thing. And I, it's hard because I'm kind of right between you and your Necromomicon, actually. I think, uh, on one hand, it is disappointing. And I think it's doubly disappointing if you have a really great film on your hands, like everything else is working, and then something kind of falls apart at the end. That it, it is a big, it's kind of like a, oh man. Because, like, with I'm not a serial killer, I thought I have a masterpiece on my hands here. I have one of my all time favorite movies on my hands here. And I was like, well, it's pretty good. You know, and it's like, it's still good enough that like on another year it would have made my top 10, but you know, it's just short of ma- something kept it from being a masterpiece. And so that is right. disappointing for me, but that, but there's no way detract from the joy and the journey. And I would watch any of these films. And my number 10 was like that. They're watching. I hated the ending, but I would watch that movie a hundred times and I bought it. So I'm with you. I, and I, and I had one experience like that. It wasn't a horror movie, but. Um, the Last Samurai. The, was it the, mm-hmm. the Tom Cruise movie that came out a while ago? Yep. I was. I saw that in the theater. I was really into that film. I thought, wow, this is really something. The ending of that movie was so distasteful to me. The last few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the whole sort of, uh, you, know, you had the whole, you know, the white man saving the culture type of thing. But whatever. Aside from that, <laughs> just just where it went that this movie that I would have put in my top 10 for the year suddenly became one of my most disappointing uh, experiences in the theater. And and that, 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 I mean, not too many movies are completely ruined by the ending. The boy was not completely ruined. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was still a lot to like about that movie. Um, The last samurai was completely ruined for me by the ending. <laughs> well, let me just say what uh, Robert Salinas really made me happy with this comment because he says he tells a funny story. He said, "Thanks to Jay of the Dead for sticking up for this one. My boyfriend cannot stand horror movies, but I got him to agree to watch this one." Robert says he says during the big reveal, he gasped, cupped his hands over his mouth, and froze. The look on his face. Probably my favorite horror moment of the year. A hilarious reaction. <laughs> I will never forget. And man, Robert, that made my day. That was so funny. And and yeah, it is one of those things that either you're going to appreciate it or you'll hate it, I think. And um, Slashly, Slashly liked it. I, she said it was incredibly predictable. But she says the atmosphere and acting make this a fun ride. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a recurring theme we're getting um, about the ride. Like Brian from St. Louis said, expecting crap, definitely entertaining. <laughs> so um, that's pretty And cool. the lead actress was excellent. Mm. She really was good. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, that's Jay of the Dead's number nine. That is The Boy. All right, Wolfman Josh, I'm so excited to hear your number nine. My number nine is The Good Neighbor. And this is another one where I kind of want to advocate for this film because I think it's one that kind of just slipped through the cracks and I don't, I'm not sure a lot of people saw it. It's very widely available now because it is streaming on Amazon, I mean on uh, on Netflix. And so it is on Amazon as well for $3.99 rental. But if you have a Netflix subscription, you can watch it for free. And uh, I would recommend that you do so. This is a really cool movie. James Caan is in it and he is excellent as always. Uh, Basically the setup you have here is a pair of mischievous high school kids. One of whom is a filmmaker. The other is kind of a genius decide they're going to prank their neighbor across the street played by James Caan and create the illusion 
of his home being haunted and they're going to film the entire thing kind of for like a senior capstone project kind of a thing. And um, I think being a documentary filmmaker, being a mischievous teen, the kind of person who would do exactly what these kids did. <laughs> I really related to the beginning of this film and someone who's really into found footage and faux documentaries for that exact reason. As I mentioned with their watching, I can really relate to these faux documentaries. I was all in for the first half. I was a little bit worried about recommending this to a horror audience because I don't think the film goes for the horror as hard as it could toward the end. Um, but it's been interesting because the feedback I've gotten from our listeners has been the opposite. They've said, well, the beginning was kind of stale for me, but it really ended amazingly. So I was, I was pleased to do that. And as usual, I think I just am underestimating others and kind of like backtracking myself and, and instead of saying what I really think, which was, I loved this movie top to bottom. I liked the beginning. I liked the ending. It's just a great film. One of my favorite this year. And so I kind of wanted to advocate for this one at number 10 in a year where there were so many great films. It's a good neighbor. You got, you totally sold me on it before and I wanted to work it in before the end of the year. I didn't get a chance, but will you have listeners backing you on this one too? This was on, on four different people's lists. It was uh, Fiona's number three movie of the year. And, Ice uh, Fiona. Yeah. And then Cora That's Jane. Cool. Salt Lake City. It was her number eight. And then both Gareth Young and Victor Rodriguez, they had it as an honorable mention. Cool. So you got your back on that one. It's a good neighbor. It's Josh's number nine. And he says it's streaming on Netflix and Amazon. Excellent. Okay. Let's move to the listeners collective number eight pick. And it is Hush. Okay. I expected more reaction. We've got a lot of. <laughs> I love Hush. Hush was excellent. I wasn't telling you guys the Hush. <laughs> this actually ended up being Cora Jane's number one pick of the year. It was her number one. Yeah, this ended up on about like 20 different people's lists here. And let me just see what the listeners have to say about Hush for everybody. Um, Dark Mark, it was his number eight. Um, the Gray Man from Ohio says, had it as number five, he says, edged out by another home invasion twist film, but only slightly. If the reveal would have been a few minutes longer, I would have rated it higher, but he still says buy it, gives it an eight out of ten. That's The Gray Man. Um, yeah. lots it's of really good. This one is another. It didn't make my list, and I don't know how many times I can say it before people hate me. Maybe we could turn it into a drinking game so they don't hate me. Um any other year, this could have been a top 10 contender for me, but it's it's a really strong film. It's an interesting switch on a slasher. I'm interested that this is the guy who's probably, it sounds like, is directing the Halloween movie for Blumhouse. So, you know, that that's all encouraging. I was slightly disheartened. I, I don't know if you guys have heard the Q&A podcast with Jeff Goldsmith. I love that podcast. I loved his old one. The the creative screenwriting podcast was incredible. I like the Q and A too. I don't think it's quite as good just because his life situation has changed. And so the podcast changed, but he interviewed the star slash writer and director slash writer of this film was Mike Flanagan. And, um, it was, and talked to them kind of about the creation of this process. And there's a point in this film. This is a very minor spoiler but it's important to talk about, I think with our horror audience, it's not going to give anything away. That's going to ruin the film in any way. Uh, the killer takes his mask off, not too far into the film. Mm -hmm. And people wanted to know why they made that choice. Uh, because it's against kind of horror convention. 
And, you know, they said, well, for exactly that reason, they think it's a lot scarier to humanize the killer. And this is a discussion we've had a lot uh, with recently with preservation and good tidings. We talked about this. Um, They were talking about the mask not being that interesting to them. And so that does slightly concern me that he's going to be directing Michael Myers. Cause to me, I do not want Michael Myers to take his mask off early enough. (laughs) No. uh, Other than that, man, hush is a really great little gem that just kind of like, it's a bit slight, you know, it's a bit thin, uh, you know, it's a cool concept, but it's a small concept. It's a, it's a great film, but it's kind of, it's not a flashy film, but for just being this nice little contained pot boiler with a cool little premise and just executed so well, everybody can see it on Netflix right now. I mean, you have to watch Hush if you haven't seen it yet. Well, I'll tell you, as, as Dr. Shock pulls up his email there, I got a couple of uh, listener comments for him about it. Jody B. from Ohio said of this, Mike Flanagan brings one of the best home invasion films since The Strangers. And then yep. Jason Dragon says, uh, my personal favorite home invasion home invasion film in years with an Academy Award nominated level performance by Kate Siegel. It's good. A, it's a semi-deaf take on Wait Until Dark. 1967 with this one getting better with subsequent viewings what it Mm. may lose to the strangers and scares it makes up for with its clever execution since absentia from 2011 mike flanagan has yet to dissatisfy me says jason dragon Uh, what do you have there dr shock from the listeners john gill's twin uh tim uh he says hush aka the strangers light except the lead has disabilities that turns up the horror and from Sal, no escape isn't a horror movie, Roma. Um, hush, uh, home invasions are scary enough, but the added twist of a home invasion for a deaf person made it even better. Biggest disappointment being removing the mask far too soon. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Josh, what do you have there? I've got a comment from Buffy Slayer, a.k.a. Heather, which not quite as exciting, but um, no. Heather says this film was just simple, well-executed horror. Yep. Home invasion films really affect me. And this film was no exception. Interestingly enough, this film reminded me of the opening scene of scream, which I really enjoy. And I was really rooting for Kate Siegel's character to come out victorious. I felt that, um, she's incredibly strong and really carries this movie. I had no idea that she wasn't really deaf. I don't know how many times I yelled at the TV, just turn around. He's right behind you. I, I'm totally with you, uh, Heather. I think, um, <laughs> and I yeah, see the connection to scream. It has that thing with the woman inside alone and the big windows. And like, it, it's great. Mm-hmm. Cake Wolf also had a cool comment. He says, playing with the confidences instilled within every slasher aficionado, Hush tests us with a convincing situation that throws away the tropes. You don't have to be a towering Jason Voorhees to get the job done, but you need to stay one step ahead of your prey. This horror film is a true game of chess. And it's well put. Mm-hmm. And I liked what Brian S. from St. Louis said. He said, I won't get many arguments that this is the best thing that Mike Flanagan has done to date. A simple yet taut masterpiece, says Brian from St. Louis. Probably the biggest surprise of the year for me. So that is the listener number eight pick. It is Hush. People love that. And that was streaming on Netflix for a long time, right? So it still is, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's another one I still have not seen yet. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. All right, Dr. Shock, I'm looking forward to hearing your number eight horror film. 
Well, you already heard it with the listeners. It's Hush. Oh, Hush, wow. is, Hush is my, my number eight film. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, that the, there's a lot of tension in the movie. I was a little bit taken back by him taking the mask off early, but I didn't mind it as it got later in the film. All right. I thought that what they did with it wasn't so bad and it even kind of made sense with 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 the, later on when he meets up uh, with with a neighbor. Again, I'm not going too deep into it, but early in the movie, there is a scene where a neighbor is banging on the door. You know, the woman is deaf and she's in her house just working in the kitchen. Something happens. And then this this killer is watching her through the door, realizes she's deaf and is just staring at her tapping on the window just trying to get her attention and boy did that scene creep me out yeah you know just the thought of that it was so well handled um and even later in the movie like that this girl is at such a disadvantage with this guy but yet there are times when she does get the upper hand and i liked that i liked the sort of back and forth that the movie did as well yeah this this impressed the hell out of me so it's, it's my number eight also all right Doctor. Very good. You're right in line with the HMP <laughs> listenership community. On both, that one, definitely. Yeah. Said number it's a eight. Great choice. It. Yeah. All right. Jay of the Dead's number eight horror film is a movie that I considered and, and rated as one of the should sees of 2016. I think people should see this. If you like horror films, if you like well executed horror films, if you like artistic horror films, if you like beautiful horror films, then you should see The Eyes of My Mother. This was released wide in the U.S. on December 2nd, 2016. It was streaming online as an internet release, written and directed by Nicholas Pesci. Thank you. And uh, stars uh, Akika Megal Hayes in a chilling performance. And this is about a family that's visited one day by an intruder and how this intruder's traumatic visit echoes and ripples through the young daughter's life. It's a fine example of how horror can begat horror. Um, I like the way that Dino describes this in his list. He describes it as one of the most disturbing looks at human psychosis. I would agree with that. I think the film is ultimately about mental illness and one of the scariest possible kinds. And I think people should check this out. Uh, amazing, amazing film. Uh, what, do you guys have any comments on Eyes of My Mother? Uh, I have not seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, I was not as high on this film as almost everyone else that I've heard talk about it. I I just felt like it was um, kind of one of those things that's just disturbing for disturbing sake. I didn't feel like the artistic... Uh, vision was as strong as uh, we're kind of led to believe. <laughs> I feel like it has extremely strong visuals. It has some disturbing ideas. It has some really great execution in a lot of ways, but I just felt like it was lacking a little bit of, of soul. Um, and it's so that that's what kept it off my list. I, it's uh, it's not one that um I will probably revisit, but what I will do is keep an eye out for this director because I think as he matures, he will be someone to watch and I think uh, has an interesting, uh, I don't know if I want to say a voice. He has a lot of skill, and I think if he can find his voice, I think it's going to be exciting. 
Okay, thank you. Well, I'll tell you what. While Dr. Shock's looking up a comment, I want Wolfman Josh to hear what Dino has to say. <laughs> no, 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 I respect everything you said, Josh. I'm just messing with you, actually. Um, And I see, I, I actually kind of agree with you, even though it's on my top 10 list. It, it probably is not a film that I will like rush back to revisit because I feel like I've I've had the experience. I've seen it once. It's kind of like, for me, it's a one-time experience film. But Dino says... Nicholas Pesci's debut film is an art horror look at a young woman exploring her deepest, darkest curiosities, beautifully shot in black and white, and easily one of the most disturbing looks at human psychosis, as I've quoted earlier. Dino gave it a yeah. 9 out of 10. He called it a must-see. And he says it's one of the most beautiful films of the year, and I totally agree with that. You know, Howard Hawks has this famous quote of, a good movie is three good scenes and no bad ones. Right. Right. Um, this movie has three good scenes and those three scenes are some of my favorite scenes I saw this year, but unfortunately for me, I think I just, there were bad ones too. So that's, that's, that was what the deal was here because there are some amazing scenes here. We talked about one of them, uh, that happens in a truck. There's one that happens kind of in a home early on. And there's one that happens in the same home, I guess, later on. <laughs> Those three <laughs> scenes for me were tremendous and almost enough to carry the film. But then there were some additional scenes added that were kind of the scenes I just ugh, I didn't buy into it. It's from a story perspective, and I didn't enjoy it as a viewer. So, yeah, that's what hurt it for me. I got you. Okay, well, Dave, what does Brian have to say about it? What does Brian says? Uh, watch this just in time to add to this list, thanks to what was said about it on a horror movie podcast. It had not been on my radar before that. I was surprised this one slipped by me. The cinematography here was amazing. And the stark black and white made me wonder why more horror directors with an on the surface simple story to tell don't utilize it to highlight the undertones like this film does. Yeah. Can you imagine what an experience a movie like The Witch would be in high contrast black and white? Hmm. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. That's a good point. It is. Yep, interesting. I, li I like I mean, that I think, idea. Yeah. Go ahead, Josh. I think I totally agree with him. And I think this setting was not one that um, the color would have particularly helped. I think there are some films. I do think the witch, the color is very nice in it. You know, we, there was a bit of a debate because uh, Mad Max Fury Road is being released in the black and chrome edition. Mm -hmm. And people are really excited about that. And I get it because I've, you know, I've, having looked at it, it looks really nice, but just comparing it like the trailer of the black and chrome edition to the trailer of the color version, I think, wow, the color is one of the things I really appreciated most about this movie. And so um, I think in some cases, yeah, I think if if the color of your set, if you're in a location like this, which mostly takes place in a house, if that isn't adding a lot, sometimes stripping that away can actually add more. And I think that is definitely the case here. There were some images going around the internet like, oh, here, see um, the eyes of my mother in color and it had like set photos and they weren't nearly as compelling as the black and white for me. Yeah. And like the mist. I like, I enjoy the black and white version of the mist a lot more. Totally. I totally agree with that. And it works better. Um, partly because it kind of hides some of the limitations of the mist. Yeah. yeah. But, but also you're in a boring location, you're in a grocery store. So if you're not in a place that like really pops visually and, and in horror, especially, I think you can really amp it up. Well, and with the eyes of, of my mother here, like this one, I, I think it's really crucial to making the film 
so nightmarish because the story mm-hmm. itself is like a little nightmare and and when you're watching it in black and white it it totally feels like that now one in texas our buddy one this was his number four of the year he called it grim depressing twisted but beautifully shot and scored a hypnot as hypnotizing as it is bleak and my final words on it here is my um number eight pick i the truck scene that you mentioned, and I'm talking about the pickup truck scene, uh, is just, oh, you know, one of the most horrifying things I can think of. So, I mean, like you said, Josh, some of the scenes are very strong, like in their content, and that scared me on a, a deep, deep level. So, um, I, I just think people have to at least see the eyes of my mother. All right. So that was my number eight. And now we're going to hear Wolfman Josh's number eight. Well, number eight is my kind of art house entry, I suppose. And it's another film I really want to advocate for. This is a smaller film, but so it's one that could have been missed, but I want people to search it out. And it's called The Triangle. (laughs) And this is one that Jay and I discussed. And like my number 10 and my number nine, and this is probably the last time, (laughs) this is a film that utilizes the found footage format in a really interesting way. And in this case... Um, whereas they're watching captured what it's like to work on a film crew to a T. I think this film captures what a documentary looks and feels like to a T. I think that's really crucial when you're doing a faux documentary, when you're doing a found footage style film to be able to capture that look is very important for me to be able to suspend my disbelief. And I realize I've got a higher bar than a lot of people since I work in the industry, but I hope that will translate to the listeners as that knowing that they're watching something that has the feel of authenticity coming from someone who knows it. Hopefully that will mean something and add to your enjoyment of the film as well and not just be so esoteric and singular that I'm the only one getting out anything out of that. Because I think it's fascinating watching the movie and really feeling like, like, holy crap, like I've been where these guys are. I know that scene, the scene that is playing out I, has happened to me. Like, this is what it's like getting interviews with people who don't want to be interviewed. This is what it's like being on location and being in kind of a precarious situation. And again, I got that feeling in there watching, but I really got that feeling in the triangle. This was the most realistic and felt the least like a film of any film that I saw this year, it felt like it was real. Mm-hmm. And, and the filmmakers are actually very guarded about even talking about this. They kind of just act like it's real. And if you watch <laughs> the film, you'll know it's not, or at least Jesus, we hope it's not right. But, but the filmmakers don't talk about this being a mockumentary. They don't talk about this being a found footage film. They kind of just act like it's a documentary. <laughs> and so, um, for me, having a horror and mystery built into what feels like a very convincing documentary is very exciting. So basically, yeah, you have these filmmakers who've received a postcard from their buddy that says, come see me. They haven't heard from him in a long time. They go to visit him out in the middle of nowhere in Montana, and he's joined this kind of community, this colony of people, and it seems to be a cult and we get to know the people in the cult and, uh, and you know, there's some trouble that comes of the situation and it's a lot of fun. It's maybe somewhat similar to the film, the sacrament in, in a lot of ways that we've discussed before, but I think where that film had, although I really enjoyed that movie a lot that had an air about it that wasn't totally 
convincing and felt a little bit put on. This doesn't have that at all. This is totally stripped away uh, and raw. And so, yeah, that's Triangle is my number eight. <laughs> I'm really happy that you put this on your top 10 list. And, and actually, I have a lot more to say about it, which I'll, I'll save for a little bit later in the show. But okay. I got I to gotta celebrate your pick of that for number eight because it wasn't on any of the listener lists or anything like that. And um, I'm just happy you get some attention out there because I agree with you. It was one of the most memorable viewing experiences for me this year. And actually, Josh, upon building this top 10 list, I just re-listened to our review of it just last night and um, really enjoyed that conversation with you. So uh, I commend you for picking the triangle and that's the 2016 triangle, everybody. I know, right. but yeah, I have that title just because there are so many movies with similar titles, but that's true. Right. But yeah, I'll have more to say about that a little bit later on in the show. So nice. good pick <clears throat> number eight, the triangle. All right. So now we're down to the listeners collective number seven pick. And I just got to tell people this right here, a pick like this is what makes me respect the horror movie podcast community so much. Their number seven is the invitation. We had about uh, 20 people pick this. This ended up nice. being um, Jan Gell's twin, Tim. It was his number one of the year, Jonathan Watkins. It was his number two of the year. And uh, we got some great comments on this. Let me pull them up here. And um, <clears throat> some of my favorite comments actually are <laughs> surrounding the invitation. Let me see here. Well, first of all, let me just let me start with kind of a negative comment. Dino... And Cleveland put this as his most overrated movie of 2016. <laughs> Such a rabble rouser. He says, don't get me wrong. I like the invitation quite a lot. It's in my top 25 for the year, but I'm seeing it on a lot of top 10 lists, even as high as top five in some cases. And I just find it hard to understand in such a strong year. Come on, Dino. Um, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> I love it that he... he he went after that one. Of all the things he could have gone after, um, Josh, will you read what uh, Buffy Slayer has to say about this? And in case the listeners are curious, out of the 39 people, not everybody wrote comments with their So if you're see- hearing from kind of the same people, it's because only a, a certain number of that 39 wrote explanations. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, Buffy Slayer says... The tension in this film was what really struck me. I could feel the struggle in Logan Marshall Green's character, but also his underlying paranoia about what was really going on with the people at this party. It felt dangerous even when there was no immediate danger to be seen. Well, Jan Gals Twin, who rated this as his number one and gave it a 9.5, he said, Jay of the Dead recommended. I checked it out and wow, not overly scary, but I can't remember the last time I felt uncomfortable and tense watching a movie. From the opening scene, the film felt very heavy. I could feel the awkwardness and tension between the characters during the dinner party. My only nitpick is the film has a slow burn and you're waiting for it to explode. And when it does, I wanted a bigger explosion. I love this movie. Thanks, Jay. And uh, Jan Gals Twin, that is exactly why I do this. (laughs) For little moments where people will actually check out something you love and then they enjoy it too. So thank you. Dave, what did Daniel have to say about The Invitation? Uh, Daniel said, um, The Invitation, often in horror movies, characters are given a tragic backstory to engage audience sympathy with a minimum of effort. The Invitation makes better use of tragedy. 
The loss of a child motivates the characters and provides an all-pervading atmosphere of grief. A solid example of the mystery suspense type of horror film. Okay. Yeah, and Sal here says, you're not paranoid if people really are out to get you. But are they out to get you? It's a question I had to keep asking myself throughout this entire film. Yeah, so that, that paranoia is real in this movie. <laughs> Another one of my favorite comments on this came from Frank Wiswell, who gave this his, his number three of the year. Uh, just made me so happy. He said, guys, your coverage of this movie was incredible. I watched it the day I heard you describe it because you just left so much to the imagination. Maybe I should be mad, though. I paid five bucks to rent it, and it was free on Netflix like three months later. But Frank, yeah. you know it was worth the five bucks. And uh, Jason Dragon says, this film is a hypnotic drug. It pulls you in from the opening car incident to the jaw-plummeting conclusion Regarding American horror cinema in 2016, it's the cerebral go-to film. Logan Marshall Green and a subtle performance owns our attention. And uh, man, that that made me so happy. So yeah, that's the invitation. That's the listeners. What are we on? Number <laughs> number seven pick of 2016. Excellent yeah. job, everybody. You make me proud. Okay, Dr. Shock, what is your number seven? My number seven uh, might be a little surprising. It is at this point in the list is Don't Breathe. Mm, nice. I really, yeah, I, I, we've talked about this movie. I talked about this movie already a couple episodes ago. I've already gone into, you know, discuss this, but the tension in this movie, this is, this is another one where, where this is the, the suspense sort of gets you. I mean, the, the scene in the, in the basement where the lights are out, but uh, even more so, and I mentioned this before, is just how this thing gets its jump scares. You know, the, several times you just, just jump, by the camera just moving a little bit, you know, not, none of the none of the loud screeches, none of the, the sharp music, none of the you know quick cuts. There are just a slight pan, and you're like, oh, you know, you're you're sort of reacting the same way the characters do, uh, and I really like that about this movie. Um, yeah, so for me, this is uh, this is my number my number seven, and it was up uh, much higher earlier, and then it got knocked down a little bit, but um, it still had to be on the list for me. Well, I have a feeling we'll be hearing more about this film later on in the night as we progress. But let me just say a couple of things to, to back you up on this, Dr. Shock. For the listeners, this was um, Gabby from Chicago by way of Pennsylvania. It was her number one pick of the year. And it was also Slashly G's number one pick. And a couple of hilarious things that kind of came to the surface in all these uh, descriptions and comments let me uh, just find it here for you. Projectile Varmint, who's a, a lady. This is her number 10. She said, loved every bit of it except for the turkey baster. And she said, shock value yeah. was not needed and took away from the finished product. And she was not the only one who said that, actually. Um, we, <laughs> we had a few other people comment on it. But Fiona actually excluded Don't Breathe out of her top 10 list. She says... It would be in my top 10 list if it weren't for the turkey baster. So it seemed like yeah. the, the ladies had some, a couple of the ladies at least had some issues with that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that was, I brought that up in my review of the film too. It was not my favorite element of the movie, but let me ask this. Does this make it the best Thanksgiving horror movie that's out there? <laughs> um, no, but I do. Oh, okay. I do. I do love the turkey baster 
personally. Okay. Blood but, Rage is still your choice. What did you say? Blood Rage is still the choice to go to. <laughs> right. Right. So that's the that's Dr. Shock's number seven, and it is Don't Breathe. Okay, and I'll go into my number seven, Jay of the Dead. This was my biggest, most pleasant surprise of the year, and that was 2016's Frankenstein. You guys remember that? Um, do you remember yeah. that? Okay, so yeah, so I do remember. Yeah, <laughs> this was widely available to U.S. audience once it had its DVD release on February twenty third, twenty sixteen. It was written and directed by Bernard Rose, and it stars Xavier Samuel, Carrie Ann Moss, Danny Houston, and Tony Todd. Of course, it was inspired by the Mary Shelley novel, and we discussed in our review how we. We felt like it probably actually took, it was a little more faithful to the novel. And at the same time, this film is like a modern street version of the Frankenstein story. Now, just so people know, if you do check this out, I almost turned this off and slammed my computer shut that morning when I watched it because I was watching it on my computer. It starts really rough and it casts a lot of bad doubts. But I tell you what, this thing bursts open and I became extremely impressed with it. It, it. It's a blend of the Mary Shelley story, of course, and a little bit of like splice. Um, it has some body horror elements of it. It reminds me uh, a, a little bit to some extent of contracted. Um, and I, it's, it's gory. It's extremely gross. It's violent. And uh, I, I just, I was genuinely impressed. I wasn't expecting anything from this. And man, I loved it. It was an 8.5 to me. I said, buy it. Um, yeah. What about you guys? Yeah, I really enjoyed this one too. I think, I uh, you know, too, yeah. Candyman fans can trust Bernard Rose, even though he's here with a much smaller budget. He does an excellent job. And um, I, yeah, I was also quite surprised by this film. You know, we had talked about doing um, the film, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein for that episode initially. And then we just realized, oh, look, there's a, 2016 Frankenstein. Let's try that instead. And I was mm-hmm. not expecting much. Yeah. And I was very pleasantly surprised. And I'm with you. I felt the same way going in. I said, well, let's see what this is like. I wasn't expecting it to be anything. And I was pleasantly surprised as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to give a little shout out to uh, Dark Mark, my good buddy, Dark Mark, because he was actually the only other listener, I believe, who mentioned this. And any of his lists that ended up being on it honorable mention for him and he said uh, Frankenstein and then he was wondering if it was 2015 or 2016 and then he said it's on Jody's list <laughs> so <laughs> that's hilarious but I, I don't I don't know if it ended up falling off of Jody's list but what's well, up Jody Jody's resource of okay 170 Jody's, yes that's right and okay we, uh, I got gotcha. you page of his yeah well Jody Needs to be in your top 15 somewhere, I'm thinking. But anyways, <laughs> people, seriously, Jay of the Dead, if you if you haven't seen this one, give it a try and don't shut it off in the first 10 minutes. Trust us. We won't let you down. Okay, Wolfman Josh, what is your number seven horror movie? Okay, so my number seven is one of those that the listeners have been recommending to me for a long time, and I wasn't dragging my feet, but it just took me a while to get around to it, and I was just really happy uh, when I did. And it was one of those films that I enjoyed to a large degree because I was so unfamiliar with the culture. 
This film takes place in Tehran, and I might as well just say it's under the shadow. <laughs> and and um, it's about a mother and her daughter in their apartment in Tehran while their husband and father has left to the front lines of war. And they're dealing with kind of uh, the mother's unhappiness with her kind of situation in life and an oncoming war when kind of creepy things start happening that at first the mother kind of thinks, well, this must be related to kind of what's going on outside, but her daughter is more in touch with what's going on. And, and all of her neighbors really are more in touch with what's going on than the mother and where it goes is really a lot of fun. It's, it's not the most horrific of the films that are on my list, but it is spooky and creepy and uh, moody and it sets a wonderful tone and it's very unique and it's dealing with a, a creature in quotes that although, you know, is familiar in, in some ways is completely new and will for me and would be for probably most audiences. So uh, yeah, that is my number seven under the shadow. Okay. So we had some listeners back you on that actually. Uh, this came in on about like 12 different people's lists and it ended up being a uh, projectile varmint. It was her number one pick of the nice. year. Wolfman. Nice. And it was also uh, Mike from the Back Row podcast. It was his number two. And our buddy Daniel Rempel wrote, it was his number six. He said, glad I could find a a ghost story to include in this list. Under the Shadow takes its time to get going, but once it wraps you up, it doesn't let go. The scariest 2016 movie I saw, it gave me goosebumps, he says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's scary. It's it's a uh, it's a different kind of horror than we're used to, and that's what's so great about it for me. Um, Dino was the one that was really banging the drum for this for me, and I don't think it ended up on his list, or I'm not sure if it did. So I'm curious if it did, but um, he was really the person that really pushed for me to to take a chance on this one. So, so. I'm I'm scanning down through his list now, and uh, mm-hmm. yes, it was number eight on Dino's list, and he said, okay. Babakanvari's feature debut about a mother and a daughter coping with their fears in 1980s Tehran. Dark and ominous throughout and thick with political commentary, the film is similar mm-hmm. to the Babadook in that we're unsure of what is the real threat. Nine out of ten, a must-see for fans of supernatural horror, Dino says. I've got a comment here from Andred. Andred says, a mother and daughter getting menaced by bombs, political repression, family anxieties, and an evil Dijin. Jin? I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm sorry. It's Jin, a genie. Uh, okay. What it amounts to. Yeah, because it's was inter- Oh, okay, okay. It was interesting to see the interweaving of a particular cultural moment, 1980s Iran, with the manipulations of a malevolent spirit. I won't bore you with comments on other picks other than to say that 2016 horror made heavy use of disability from alcoholism in the monster, blindness and don't breathe deafness and hush and mental illness in they look like people. That's very interesting to me as someone who considers themselves disabled and also studies disability from a cultural perspective, like their portrayal of women Horror movies have often done a bad job of representing disabled people. So it's nice to see some more nuanced and original portrayals that are all also scary. Turns out 2016 was a good year for horror. Yeah. And Andred, I wasn't sure about this and it's interesting. I would love to talk to him about this sometime, but I did notice his Twitter handles, Andred the blind. 
So um, I know he watches, and I'm going to say on quotes, I guess, movies. But uh, Andred, we would love to talk to you about disability and horror. I think it's actually would be make a fascinating episode to talk about all of these types of films you're discussing. Um, yes, well. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a great idea, you guys. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so proje- while Doc pulls up his Jason Dragon comment here, Projectile Varmint said, Under the Shadow... This might make it into my all-time top 20 list, she said. Wow. Best movie of 2016, regardless of genre. The fact that they made a sheet absolutely horrifying shows you that you (laughs) don't need to rely on jump jump scares. This movie takes the Hitchcock buildup to a new level of thrilling. And I got to tell you, Susie, of everybody I've read or heard about this, I mean, Josh just did a great job selling it, of course, but... What you just said, <laughs> that makes me really want to check it out because I love when when a horror film can actually build suspense, old school style. And then Sal Roma says, worth watching if for no other reason than to experience a rarely seen location and customs. Doc, what yeah. did Jason Dragon say? Uh, Jason said, uh, this one certainly took me by surprise. Set against the backdrop of 1980s Tehran, a doctor is ordered to the, by the military to attend to the injured during wartime. He leaves behind a wife and daughter in their apartment where certain occurrences begin to take shape. Has a great jump scare involving a window. This one gave me both claustrophobia and cabin fever. He gave it a 7 out of 10. This is one I, I did not get a chance to see yet. Um, the DVD, just for everyone who knows, and I'm not sure if there's a Blu-ray or not, but I know it comes out. I think there's a Blu-ray. Uh, it is releasing on the 10th of January, and um, it's one that I intend uh, to see if we had done the show a week later I'm wondering if it would have made my list mm-hmm. somewhere along yeah, and, the line and I said buy it when I reviewed it but I'm not kidding um, at that price of the DVD if you like foreign horror films if you don't mind reading the subtitles if you like supernatural stuff if you think a slow burn like with this much tension sounds like it's your cup of tea just go ahead and buy that DVD because it's a $6.99 rental on Amazon to watch it digitally I, I would go ahead and purchase it at that price point to be honest well let me let me just ask you one thing about it josh so i love the house of the devil ty west's film Mm -hmm. because i mean it's a slow burn even but Mm -hmm. i mean the way the tension is built in that that film scared me to death and and so like is this similar in that vein It's, it's it's not the same for me personally um i actually loved how projectile environment described the film as well because this this is just speaking to my own insecurity, and I think it's from starting out my horror podcasting over at Horror Palace, but we kind of got beaten into us that there was like one type of horror fan, and we struggled with this for the first like year of doing this podcast. Like, well, I don't know if horror fans are going to like it, but I like it, you know, and it took me a long time, and I still struggle with it, with just having the confidence of saying, well, look, I'm a horror fan, and I like this. Mm-hmm. And so this is the type of film I traditionally love and backpedal constantly when I'm reviewing. It's a terrible habit that I have that I'm trying to get out of, but it's just that I think we were dealing with a more traditional or old school horror fan on our first horror podcast that I did with you guys. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the comments and responses that we got were kind of like that. I think the listenership that we've built actually have tastes more in line with ours. Mm -hmm. And so um, I want to stop apologizing for films like this 
And rather than looking for reasons why, oh, the audience isn't going to like it for this or this or this reason, start paying more attention to like why I can recommend it more strongly. And The Good Neighbor was a film for me this year that really put a you know fine point on that for me. And this is another where I, I'm more impressed with the listeners' reviews than I am of my own because it's kind of a little scared to to go to bat for this movie, which is ridiculous because it's so good. <laughs> well, here, here, I, I love that you said that, and um, I uh, you guys have sold me on it. I want to check it out. I really do. Okay, now let's move into the listener collective number six pick. And man, this one makes my heart hurt only because everybody in the world told me, make sure you see it before the top 10 list. And I didn't get to see it. But let me just say why. It was 3 a.m. last night, 3 a.m. in the morning this morning. And I was still up and I'm like, you know what? I got to go to bed. So that's why I didn't get to see it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the listeners picked the wailing as their number six and uh, i'll tell you right here dino it was dino's number one horror film of the year it was his number one brian maloney was his number two one it was his number two it was jason dragon's number one gareth young's number one see i believe that this film belongs more in the number one number two area than uh than at number six and i think this movie probably struggles with Probably some people were off put by it being subtitled some in foreign and some probably some people had a harder time seeing it for those reasons, because I'm guessing most of the people who had it on their lists had a high on their list. And I know at least one of our listeners that I saw and I can't remember who it was had a like number 10, but I think this is a film that people love and I loved. And so um, I'm guessing that it's just because people didn't see it as much. Is that accurate or not? Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing that. What's interesting, we had I mean, about... That's, that's the most you've said of number ones and number twos so far. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. But let me just let me just tell, I'll give you a sense of it here. There were like 22 picks here. And a lot of these were like in the the 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, like, like honorable really? mention range, actually. Wow. Yeah. I can't even fathom that, to be honest. I'm glad it's on the listener list. And I honor them for it, but I can't fathom that this didn't make it past the honorable mentions for people who saw it. But that's cool. I mean, everyone's different, so that's great. But well, well, I love I love seeing it on the list at all. I'm well, thrilled that it's on the list at all. Me, me too. I, and I'm just I'm so excited to see this. I just feel so sad I didn't. But uh, Cake Wolf said he calls it strange and haunting. He said, although I feel at a loss for proper cultural references. This movie did leave a mark on my mind. A South Korean episode of The Twilight Zone is how uh, Cake Wolf described it there. And in uh, Projectile Varmint, says, uh, I've been waiting for a good Asian horror flick. This is reminiscent of Ringu and Juwan in the way of a strong backstory leading the plot. I think that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then um, Kagan, when he... <laughs> When he submitted his list, he said, I just finished squeezing in the whaling at the last minute, and I'm glad I did. And it ended up being his number three in his top ten there. Nice. So that was pretty great. And um, let me see here. Do you want to read uh, Dino's comment on the whaling there, Josh? Sure. Uh, Dino says, the whaling. Nahong Jin's battle between good and evil will keep you guessing which is which side is which until the very end. Masterfully paced blood-soaked and intense a serious supernatural horror film that will linger in your consciousness 10 out of 10 a must-see and a horror masterpiece i could not agree more with dino 
<laughs> That's excellent. I, you know, it's funny you said it because I can't find myself agreeing anymore with Dino either. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding, Dino. Okay, so while Dr. Shock's pulling up his email there, the gray man says, eight out of 10, another excellent Korean entry to 2016 horror. The mystery lingered on after the film ended. A repeat viewing only enhanced this film. Like most of the films on my list, it's layered with excellent visuals and story. Buy it, is what Greg says. What do you got there, uh, Dr. Shock? Hi, from uh, from Brian Maloney. Uh, I was intimidated by the long runtime, as with so many South Korean movies. But like memories of murder before it, the wailing proves that mixing a complex police procedural and kitchen sink family drama within a horror concept can engage and maintain interest for the long haul. All right, I've got a comment here from Juan that is m- more trolling uh, a different film than it is <laughs> propping up this one come on Juan Juan says the <laughs> only great Korean horror movie this year <laughs> and the only one deserving to be mentioned in the same conversation as the witch this is the kind of movie that rewards repeated viewings and so he's he's really trying to take the wind out of the sails of Train to Busan there mm-hmm. uh, because he did not appreciate it as much as others but um, well, don't worry Josh I'm going to be reading Juan's uh, comment speaking of witches and witch hunting and <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get everybody uh, he's in trouble we'll just say that but this does re- reward repeat viewings and, and you know some people had a little bit of a hard time with it Dino did post a great explanatory video in the comments there are several others out there that um, people have different theories and my theory my personal theory is a little bit different than uh, the primary theory that I see floated around so it's one that although it is completely satisfying in the way it ends allows for you to interpret what has happened in different ways and it's not a movie that leaves you hanging in any way yeah well i think maybe michelle ogle said it best when she rated it number eight and she said i'll be thinking about this movie for days and that's the sentiments I keep reading on it. Like people, it really stays with you, huh, Josh? So, man, I'm excited to see it. Three times. I watched this three times, you guys, <laughs> already. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of our listeners mentioned with the invitation that he was a little disappointed that it came out on Netflix several months after he paid to rent it. I paid to rent this and then bought the Blu-ray. And then the next day after the Blu-ray arrived, it was on Netflix. So, oh, man. Uh, I did not regret it. This movie's incredible. I was glad to support it. Okay, that's the listener's number six, and it is The Wailing. Okay, Dr. Shock, what is your number six horror movie? Okay, my number six is another one that was up higher up until about five days ago, and it is The Witch. Oh. Uh, mm. This is uh, one of the things I really liked about this was the setting. I thought the setting was awesome. I thought they did a great job of, of recreating the, that atmosphere, um, you know, from the time period. Uh, the way that they just sort of focused on the woods um, was was really ominous. They, they throw the music in there, I guess, as a cue. But still, you just knew there was something out there. And just the, the feeling of dread uh, that as the story was, was progressing. Um, and uh, I have a feeling we'll be talking about this one a little bit later on, too. But, um, yeah, for me, it's uh, it's my number six of uh, not number six of the year. And it, it had been up higher 
for, for quite a while. And the witch. Mm, excellent. Well, uh, you know, I could tell you, I think this one's going to be coming up a little more later on. I have no doubt about that. Great pick. You know, I back you, Dr. Shuck. That is an excellent choice. Okay. Jay of the Dead's number six. I want to thank, uh, as I give my number six pick here, I want to thank Wolfman Josh, Joel Robertson, and like every single person in the HMP community, except for one, for existing <laughs> that I see this one. And my number six is Train to Basan. Man, you guys nice. were right about this. I, I enjoyed this 100%. It was just such a blast for me. Um, this had a limited release in the U.S. Uh, back in July 2016, and at some point between then and here recently, <laughs> it, it became available to stream online widely. And this is a mm-hmm. South Korean film, of course, written and directed by Sang Ho Yeon. And this is, uh, to me, and I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, guys, this is like, a, I interpret it as a living dead fast zombie film i mean i think these Mm -hmm. these are true zombies i think they they die and then they reanimate and of course they are Uh they are of the infected variety there so they are infected they are fast reanimated corpses um and basically the story is simple you get this father and his young daughter they're on this bullet train traveling to basan for the daughter's birthday she insists on visiting her mother and as they begin their journey the zombie apocalypse erupts and the father has to try to protect his little girl during this perilous journey. And man, this is intense. I, I feel like I love, I mean, one of my all time favorite films is 28 days later. I love the mm-hmm. rage virus. I love the way that looks. I love the, yep. it's genuinely scary to me. Even I've seen that film probably seven times and every time I watch it, I'm scared. And, and I get scared in a movie like this. I mean, just because they're so intense and irrational. I think this has heart. I think it's suspenseful. At one point, I'm like feeling myself get emotional. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this was just a fun, you know, zombie romp here. And, and now I'm, you know, I'm Pulling feeling... Your heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, the drama is working on me and I'm really invested. There's heroism in this movie, which it, it on one yes. hand, it's it's pounded over your head pretty hard. But on the other hand, it's just done so well. Uh, it's true. It's what you want to see from human beings in this movie. Right, you know, you, right. you want to see people take care of each other. And I love that about this movie. Jay, can I ask you two questions about this? Yeah, Since please. we haven't had a chance to review it together. Please do. I love it. Okay, so when you when I reviewed it, you asked me a couple of things that I kind of want to throw back and get your point <laughs> on, your point of view on. Okay. Um, number one, what did you think about the father and daughter relationship? Um, well, okay, thank you for asking that. So first of all, um, I, I, I just love the daughter anyway. So I have a little bit of an irrational... Um, sympathy for her because she's mm-hmm. got to be like one of the cutest kids I've ever seen in my life. She's adorable. Yeah. And because she has this dad who is aloof or too busy and they have this like estranged relationship, it, it's kind of heartbreaking. So it affected me in that way that she doesn't really, you know, want a lot to do with her dad. Now, now here's, okay, so here I'm getting real in the horror movie podcast, top yes. 10 show Love once it. again. All right, so 
I have a daughter who's about that same age, in fact. And although I feel like I'm a dad who's not aloof and I'm pretty attentive, pretty decent dad, um, my daughter and I have this weird thing where she she doesn't connect with me. She's a mom's girl, you know, and and so I I related a lot to their relationship. And so because of my own personal baggage, I was like, Oh man, this is affecting me, you know? And, uh, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, it was a little more effective than maybe it might be for other people now. Um, and, and I think it's beautiful and I was actually really fulfilled. So the question that I asked you about it, it, it did deliver on that front for me, Josh. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I had said at the time that although, I enjoyed it because they aren't physically together that much. I was more interested in kind of uh, the father's journey than their dual journey. And, um, and I was really affected by some of the other passengers. There's a husband wife couple on the train. And I, I was probably most affected by them actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The The other question I asked you was, well, you were, um, I was reviewing the film and you seemed a little annoyed and maybe I was just reading into that, but you're like, what? they couldn't make it from one end of the train to the other with a bunch of crazy fast zombies. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, I I wanted to ask you, they did a pretty cool job with that, though, didn't they? The filmmakers. I, I, I What did you think of their well, journey on uh, the train to Basan? Another great question. So um, for me, this is a nine out of ten. The reason it's not a ten for me is because of, you know, how pe- many people have compared it to like snow piercer meets you know mm-hmm. 28 days later or whatever well the the snow especially there's there's one particular snow piercer scene where i mean the snow piercer type scenes where they're trying to move through the cars and stuff um that that's where it's weakest for me because then mm. then these these truly threatening monsters become much much less threatening and they become video game pieces plus the film i don't want to say it cheats because every film i think kyle bishop would even argue every every zombie film can kind of have its own take on the the characteristics Mm -hmm. and the nature of the zombie but they they do a little bit of um conveniences in the plot with with the conditions of the zombies and and um well they make up new zombie rules which i loved you didn't you didn't like as much yeah i mean i feel like they leaned on that kind of heavily to get around some problems and um yeah and 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 so you know it's not a huge deal but it feels cheating a little bit for me so i would say yeah i don't i think because they created their universe and they play by the rules of their universe yeah, it's it's cheating in the sense that they made up their own rules, but it's cool. I think for this universe, and it's a zombie rule I enjoy. I, I always I always like a new rule if it um, kind of doesn't distract or take away from other kind of zombie movies. And I felt like that's what this was for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Bill, just east of Toronto, he says not really scary, but very well written. A unique survival zombie film. Love the zombies at uh, how they bent backwards. A nice blend of CGI and practical effects. A must-see for all fans of the genre. And then Cake Wolf says, a rip-roaring good old time with zombies. Nothing too new here, but it's got heart. And yeah, I couldn't agree more about the heart because it's definitely there. Okay, Josh, what does Brian have to say about this from St. Louis? Okay, Brian from St. Louis says, we all have zombie fatigue, but this movie still managed to be something special thanks to its direction and heart. That's curious because I have heard a lot of people say that 
although we all hate zombie movies now, this one's good. And I, maybe I'm just alone in the world, but I don't hate zombies. I love zombies. And I love this zombie movie as bringing something new to the genre. Maybe it's just because I'm not caught up on The Walking Dead and I didn't watch the Walking Dead spinoff or whatever. But, man, I, you know, as many zo- bad zombie movies of the, as there have been, there have been a lot of really good zombie movies. And I'm fine with any genre as long as it's done well. This one is, is done well. So um, I have no issue with this being just a zombie movie. It's a, a great entry uh, in the genre that I love. Yeah, I want to know who hates zombie movies. I don't, I mean, I don't. I mean, I haven't seen that comment a lot with regard to Train to Basan. People saying, although we're all burned out and hate these, this one's good. And I just did, I don't relate to that. Yes. Yeah. But I I have seen that comment a lot. Brian's not alone. He's probably in the majority of the comments I've seen. Uh, But it's just surprising to me. And if people are really burned out on zombies, why is The Walking Dead still doing well? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's still on the air. But for me, it's a nine out of ten, and I say bye, trained Basan. Josh, what is your number six? My number six is a film that was high on my list for a part of the year, and then it dropped completely off my list at one point. And then as I've been just really wrestling with my list for the last couple of days, this is one that was not even in my honorable mentions at one point, and then climbed back onto the list. I mean, I have really wrestled with this movie and ultimately, you know, I really wanted to reward. <laughs> they get the honor of being on my list. I wanted to reward originality. And although this is a film that is not, I guess, completely original, it is a nice twist on other ideas we have seen. It's one that's come up already. It's Don't Breathe as my number six. Um, you know, I had to remind myself when I was making my doing my rankings how blown away I was when I saw the trailer for this film, how tense an experience it was mm-hmm. when they go into this house. And although the movie has a few cinematic tropes that bore me and kind of bother me, like an air vent scene, which I don't ever need to see in cinema again, although it goes <laughs> places that I'm not technically or all that much interested in, like the uh, Turkey baster, which has been, brought up uh, already on this episode, the concept, the basic concept, and then the incredible execution of that concept, just really strong directing in this movie and, and a great lead performance here by Jane Levy. And actually I really enjoy the other two, three performances in this film as well. The two other young men and the older gentleman. Um, who's dealing with a disability, as Andred has, has talked about. I think this whole kind of stew of things works so well for me. And um, yeah, I, I, although it's a, issue, a film that I've kind of gone back and forth with and had a few issues with here and there, it's when I ultimately decided, you know what? This was an extremely original film. It was really well done, and it deserves a strong ranking on my list. So don't breathe. This is my number six. I back you. The only thing I so since you mentioned the turkey baster again, um, I just I just want to say to people in defense of the film, <laughs> I know some people felt like that was pretty over the top, but and and I won't go into details about it, but but really the turkey baster is part of the plot. 
and and I think yeah. that because of its because of its relevance to the plot, I do see its you know, like it's I think it's warranted. Part about the premise to me though, like I think that part of the plot, it you know, it's it's not a con- complete contrivance because it's related, as you say, to other elements of the story. But to me, it's the least interesting part of the story in terms of what excites me about this movie it's it's cool and it adds depth and nuance you know that element of the plot or that element of the story and this character's story and arc but the thing that really gets me going when i think of don't breathe is not any of that stuff that's the stuff i kind of i'm less excited about the stuff that i'm more excited about is just that basic horror concept we're going to rob this guy no this guy is going, we're doing damage to someone. No, this person is doing damage to us. <laughs> and that's amazing. Yes. And it's done in a way that we haven't seen. I mean, t- 2016 really was the year of home invasion with a twist. Uh, if you think yeah. about it, I mean, you, you had um, uh, the good neighbor was a kind of home invasion. Um, you had uh, both um, don't breathe and the intruders, AKA shut in, which, um, the the uh, the invaders become the victims. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was just it was just interesting to see what they did with uh, what they did with invasion. Yeah, as an yeah. element of that as well. Yeah, so it's just interesting to see what they did with home invasion this year. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally agree. So that's uh, Wolfman Josh's number six film, and it is Don't Breathe. Okay, now we're down to the horror movie podcast listerships collective number five choice and this one man this took it by storm this was a strong this is where we start getting some really high votes on the the listeners and it is 10 cloverfield lane we had about oh my goodness like 25 to 30 of the 39 voters i mean this was somewhere on their list this ended up being number two on elena's list and number two on oliver's list Oh my goodness. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, I'm just looking down through here though. It was not number one on anybody's list, I see. So that's kind of interesting. Interesting. I mean, this for me would have been a better film if left ambiguous. And so I understand, I'm, and I'm happy that people were not turned off by uh, the making of concrete at the end of this film. But I was way more entertained two thirds of the way through the film than I was at the end of the film. And so this is kind of what you talked about, Jay. Was there joy in the journey? There was a ton of joy in the journey. Um, Does the ending ruin it for me? It doesn't ruin it for me, but for me, it's made it stop short of being a masterpiece that I think it could have been. And so it's a bit disappointing and it's one that didn't, you know, quite climb all the way up for that reason for me. Hmm. Well, Jason Dragon, he wrote something interesting. He said, this is horror, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and honestly, like I had to think about that for a while and I, and I do think it's, it's horror enough. I mean, it, it definitely has some horror moments in it and it seemed like the HMP community was totally comfortable with including it, but he continues. I kind of wish this had a different title completely segregated from the original Cloverfield picture. Valencia would have succeeded regardless what makes sure. what makes this work so well is John Goodman in what should be an Oscar nominated performance. He is literally the crazy glue <laughs> that holds it together <laughs> with motives that leave us feeling uncertain. And I would agree with that. 
And I, just, I would say Mary Elizabeth Winstead is also what makes it work. She is really strong in this. I think she deserves a huge amount of credit. The only thing I would say is I would say John Goodman is what makes this borderline a masterpiece is his performance. Um, mm-hmm. But she is good. I don't, don't take anything away from her. She's incredible. Totally um, I've got a comment here from Daniel Rempel about Cloverfield Lane. Daniel says intelligent and capable protagonists predominate in my favorite 2016 horror movies. And Mary Elizabeth Winstead's Michelle is no exception. I don't recall ever questioning her decision-making in this film. Also, the reveal is well handled. Despite the abrupt change in tone, it doesn't feel like a cheat or gimmick. It's simply the world of this film. And yeah, I, I get that. And when um, Jason Dragon was saying, was it Jason about it being mm-hmm. called 10 Cloverfield Lane? Mm-hmm. I kind of felt how Juan did about The Conjuring 2. Like, this is a sequel I didn't need to exist, but if they are going to do a sequel to that, what a totally fresh and unique sequel. I mean, what a great take on a sequel for a film that bears almost no relation to it. So I think it's what it's done is it's created a Cloverfield universe now. And um, that's exciting. I, I could see many different stories taking place in such a universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely. Um, our buddy Jody B, while Doc Shock pulls up his uh, email from Luke there, Jody B says, not to be outdone by Stephen Lang, John Goodman's Oscar-worthy performance brings us the best villain of the year, Jody says, and what would also be the biggest surprise movie of the year it was number six on his list, but he gives it a nine out of ten, and he really liked it. And then Bill, just east of Toronto, says, borderline horror, but strong performance by John Goodman. Interesting concept, good use of characters in terms of we are never sure whether to like or trust them. Uh, best use of a vat of acid since Robocop. <laughs> I mean, I would say the vat of acid takes it over any question I may have had about whether this is horror because it, it it's already emotionally horrifying throughout. And then any any appearance of acid in a film um, takes it to the viscera portion of, of horror as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Doc Shuck, what does Luke say about this thing? Uh, Luke says he has it at his number 10. Uh, just kind of felt like this should be number 10 seemed to work. Uh, I would consider this to be more thriller <laughs> sci-fi territory, but it's got the suspense and mechanics of a Hitchcockian film and a giant menacing John Goodman that is just about as scary as anything on screen this year. It also launched what could be a potentially great anthology of films with the Cloverfield tag, even if they pulled it off with a curious bait and switch on the audience with the title. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's... Yeah. That's the listener number five pick of 2016. It's 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, excellent choice there, listeners. Dr. Shuck, what is your number five for 2016? My number five is the autopsy of Jane Doe. (laughs) I was really impressed with this film. Um, Brian Cox is tremendous in it. It really builds a a fascinating mystery at the beginning of, of this thing. And then when you start to see it unravel and where it's it's going, you you you, you sort of change your your perspective on the Jane Doe and 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 you figure out what's going on around the, when the characters are figuring out what's going on and it does it does ramp it up. Um, I want to do a shout out to Projectile Varmint because 
This is one I was debating going back and forth about watching, and then I did see um, she left a, a comment again, I guess, on episode uh, 106 um, that uh, that intrigued me. So I did uh, get around to adding this, and yeah, it's very, very original, um, really, really just fascinating um, for me, uh, watching everything unfold, and, um, and it, it does get a little wild at the end. But again, I think it's just creepy enough um, so that it worked for me. So it's my number five. Mm, man, I'm so curious about that one now. <laughs> you guys got me all excited about it. All right. And uh, for, for my number five here, this is, I can't believe how, this was the big shock for me, for the listeners, as far as like what they voted and where it came in, because I can't believe how relatively little love this movie received. And so um, there were about 15 people who were into it, but man, they were all like at number 10 or number 11 on it, except for Buffy Slay Her. It was a her number one, and it was Fiona Odom's number one, and it is Lights Out. <clears throat> nice. Man, there you go. This was released wide in the U.S. on July 22nd, 2016. It was directed by David Sandberg who also made the short film that inspired it. It's about her sister and her younger brother who grow very concerned for the well-being of their mother who seems to be attached to some supernatural being with terrifying powers. And guys, the highest praise that I could say for this film is something we've said many times on this podcast, which is it made me afraid of the dark again. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with everybody listening. Every single night when I go to bed and I'm shutting out the lights and everything and I'm setting my alarm clock and so forth, uh, I have this little lights out sequence where I feel like I see something. I shine a light to see if I did see something and nothing's there. But then I'm like, yeah, but in lights out, that's what happens when you shine light on it. It's not there. But when you take off the light. So I, I go through this like really conflicted and that happens to me every single night. And I saw this film back in July. And so, you know, for the past six, seven months, it's still with me. The only reason this wasn't a 10 out of 10 and higher on my list is just that they try to explain the monster. I mean, they should have followed the examples of It Follows, which doesn't try to explain the monster. And that's, that's what they should have done here. So Lights Out for me is a 9 out of 10, though. And and this is a buy. I truly love it. What do you guys think about it? I'm a, I'm a, I was a fan of it too. Uh, it it did not make my list, but um, I enjoyed it. And uh, there's the scene at the, the beginning really gets you with, with uh, in that factory where the father is, mm -hmm. and that woman. I don't know how many times she turns the lights on and off. I guess she just can't believe what she's saying, and she's just trying to. Then all of a sudden, something happens, and boom! It's a it, it, wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the the rules this set up, um, I, I think, is is one of its strongest points about how it, only in the dark can this thing really come at you. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, most kids are afraid of the dark because of, of the monsters in the dark. And the parents say, oh, there's nothing there in the in the dark that's not there at the day. Well, in this case, there is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, Josh, I think we got a comment from Dino on this. Yeah, I'll go ahead and read Dino's comment. He says, David F. Sandberg's adaptation of his terrifying short film, 
about an evil entity that appears when the lights are turned off. The simple concept is brilliant and terrifying, suffers from unnecessary exposition and studio polish, but still provided one of the most fun and scary theatrical experiences of the of the year. 8.5 out of 10, a must-see. And Dino, also I've seen mentioned online that that opening scene to him was one of his favorite opening scenes of the year. I totally agree, disagree with Dino and, and Dave on that. For some reason, that opening scene didn't work for me, and I think it uh. kind of led me down the path of just comparing the feature to the short, which is probably not in the feature's favor, unfortunately, because although the short is not as well shot, although the short is only the very most basic element of the concept and doesn't have to have to or go anywhere the feature does, I think it suffers by comparison because the short film is still what I think about when I'm going to bed at night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, hmm. I think the feature... Um, was cool, but I still think about the short when I'm turning off my lamp at night. Almost. Well, it's not as often anymore, but I will say it stuck with me for months. Um, thinking about turning off my light at night and see, and, and seeing what you see in that short film. Um, I, I liked the feature. It wasn't, I didn't like it enough to make my list. I was shocked that it didn't make my list. And again, this is just a case of take a drink. Like any other year, this is in my top 10, Without a doubt, uh, it didn't even get close this year, which is shocking to me. I, I have a few weird bones to pick with this movie because hmm. the Blu-ray, which I, I bought, you know, I liked it enough to buy it. Um, it has a deleted scene on it, which is a different ending to the film or, or an extended ending to the film, which was really smart to take off because it was really bad. Um, but it kind of bothered me even more that that was the ending. And it worried me about the writer because although the writer has done some interesting adaptations, um, like he did the thing prequel, which I really appreciated. And he wrote the arrival, which people are saying is one of the greatest films of all time. Um, he is writing the new Van Helsing and that, I don't know, I guess there's more to be positive about. He also wrote the nightmare on Elm street remake um, and Final Destination 5. There's more to be positive about his writing than negative, but um, this was, felt really clunky to me, and it, it was even worse because the concept was so brilliant. Like, how can you screw this up? You can't really screw this up. And I, I just felt like the weak point here was the writing. David F. Sandberg's direction was spot on. Um, I think he does some really cool things. The visuals are beautiful. I really enjoyed the main actors. The whole cast is good. Teresa Palmer, though, is amazing. Mm -hmm. And the young man here in the film, which we said in our main review, reminds me of the kid in Jurassic Park. He's really strong. <laughs> um, it's always nice to see a strong kid actor. And Maria Bella was great as the mother, but I would agree with what Dino said. Like The exposition and stuff attached to it really weakened the film for me. It just felt clunky. Yep. One more right. bone to pick with the Blu-ray. I forgot there's no other additional special features, which is lame that it doesn't even have the short film on it. And David F. Sandberg is so good on like his Vimeo page and Instagram about posting like behind the scenes and makings of. It's weird that that didn't make the DVD. But the worst part about the Blu-ray is that there's only one pull quote on it at all and it's from forbes like one of the most talked about horror films of the year every horror critic has an awesome quote about this movie 
and the studio puts a Forbes quote on it. Like to me, that just shows a lack of disrespect for the horror community and just trying to appeal, bending over backwards to appeal to the mainstream. And it just so annoys me. It's a dumb thing to be annoyed about, but it does annoy me. No, I, that actually annoys me too now that you mention it. So I'll chuck <laughs> that up. Now I'm pissed because I, you know, we, we said on this podcast, it made us afraid of the dark again. How is that not a good pull quote? Not that we're. Yeah, don't you want that on your Blu ray horror movie podcast? Says, no, I have to have this. <sighs> Here's what's going to happen they're going to quote One Sick Puppy, <laughs> our friend Scott. Um, you know, cause that happened over on movie podcast weekly. We finally get a pull quote and it's none of the hosts. It was Scott, our guest, <laughs> oh, but, but anyway, I don't care about pull quotes. What I do care about is lights out delivering the goods. And Josh, what I want to say, I take one issue with what you said. You were going after the writer a little bit. I do think there were some really interesting, like smart things that they did playing around with the concept of the you know when light is shining yes, on the monster absolutely. it's not there so uh, i mean really neat stuff there so i i don't know and the fact that that the bad ending that you didn't like was cut i mean that that yeah. I, I don't it's know it's a Can big you... job it's a big job to turn that little short into a feature film so it's true you know great job to the screenwriter in that sense absolutely tons of fun little creative moments some were directing some were writing really interesting use of light great visuals here um i just would say if there was one weak element for me it had to be in the writing because i don't i think it was all executed well i just thought that um the construction was a little i don't know what other word to use other than what i've said a lot which is clunky i got you wolfman josh so it was buffy slay hers number one of the year what'd she tell what'd she say Oh, she's mad at me right now then. Well, I'll I'll make up for it and read your comment here. Buffy says, <laughs> having seen the original short from 2013, I was skeptical about how it would play out into a feature film, but this film made me afraid of the dark all over again. I would love it now if they take Buffy Slayer's quote. Made me afraid of the dark all over again. <laughs> Diana is a truly scary entity that I would say is on par with the likes of Samara in 2002's The Ring. I loved everything about this film, from the lighting to the writing. My enjoyment of this film may have been slightly influenced by a fun theatrical viewing with a great audience that screamed and laughed at all the right moments. Mm -hmm. But if a film can affect me enough to make me think twice about being alone in the dark, it deserves to be my number one pick for 2016. That was, that's really well put, Buffy. Yeah. And, uh, if if you get the pull quote over us, I will tip my hat to you. Yeah, she can she can have it. She deserves it. And then finally on this, and we'll move on. Luke of the Dead Last podcast says, "Simple, cool premise: ghost story about a spirit haunting a family only appears in a dark, based off short film. The same name. The concept spread a little thin when they get to the Spider-Man villain origin story terrain." <laughs> Yes, but there are some uh, well said, Luke. Okay, but there are some clever, effective scares and a troubled teen girl with some seriously bad Apple two thousands new metal posters on her wall. She's rough around the edges, but has a ghost to deal with. You see, <laughs> so I, I love it, Luke. Uh, cool comment. Okay, Wolfman Josh, that was my number five. Lights out. What was your number five? This was one. Um, like I said, my top four were pretty solid for a while. This was one that the listeners brought to my attention. I was so glad they did. I believe it was 
Dino again that was really banging the drum for this, but a lot of people were high on this film and I snuck it in there. Now I will say this film has a really dark history and that played greatly into my viewing of it. And I, and I can imagine that if that wasn't in your mind, it would also change your viewing. And I can see why people would maybe not appreciate it as much um, without that in mind. But for me, it was, I was unable to erase that from uh, what I knew about it. So this film was directed by a man named Marcin Rona, and he also co-wrote the film. And uh, Marcin is a Polish filmmaker. The film takes place in Poland, and he committed suicide before kind of a, a really important screening of his film um, at a big theater in Poland uh, right before the screening and it's been really strange that the film premiered at Toronto. It was a huge hit and um, it was a film everyone was talking about. I don't, I think the film for me would be just as effective <laughs> having not known that. Are you intentionally not saying the name of it just to drive us oh, wild? I have not said it yet. <laughs> you have not. The film is Demon. Okay? Oh. Not, not the neon demon, right. just Demon. And it has again just a creature a take on a on an entity from a different culture so this is the jewish legend of the die book and uh, this is a film about a man who i believe he comes from england to uh, home to poland to get married to a, a woman and he's doing some work in the yard and he digs up some bones in the yard and then what we see from that point on can be interpreted multiple different ways. It can be interpreted as a straight horror concept. It can be interpreted as uh, just anxiety and uh, mental illness. It can be interpreted as drunkenness and, um, and just kind of losing control it's also a metaphor I've read for Poland's inability to kind of deal with their part in the Holocaust and how there is this kind of hidden history in Poland, not talking about how many of their neighbors, the Jewish citizens uh, turned in and, and, and killed um, during the second world war. But this is a really effective film. I would say is a straight ahead horror film this is probably the slightest on my list, but it was so effective, so affecting. Uh, it was just beautifully made. Like it just, it was hypnotic for me uh, when I watched it. It's there's not much to it, but it, I was completely sucked into this movie. And uh, yeah, Demon is my number five, mm -hmm. and. I struggled with whether I should put it higher. I really thought about it a lot. Um, and ultimately I decided just because the threat is uh, not as explicit as it is in some other horror movies because this is a horror movie podcast and I'm just kind of doing my balance. I decided to put it at number five rather than higher on the list. But man, this was a great gripping film experience. So Josh, this came in on three different listener lists. It was number... okay. Like it was on Kagan's list, it was on Dino's list, and uh, Michelle Ogle's list. Now, smart people, right? Now, do you think that <laughs> that maybe we didn't see more of it because it sounds like it's a foreign film, and maybe people weren't as familiar with this one? 
I hadn't even heard about this until people told me it was on their list a few days ago. So I would not be surprised if not everyone had seen it, but it has been out there for a while and it has this kind of story that goes along with it that I seem, I guess seemingly a lot of people are familiar with uh, this kind of tragic event that took place um, connected to the film. And, you know, and it was been in film festivals and stuff since 2015 or maybe even late 2014. So it's been out there and it's been doing the festival rounds. But, yeah, I don't think mainstream many people have heard of this movie. So I, I think hopefully this is, will be a film that uh, grows in appreciation as uh, as time goes on. But, yeah, I would say like Under the Shadow, like The Witch, um, this is psychological in a lot of ways. Um, but but observing this man and his journey. Um, I don't remember where I read this, so I wish I could credit the person who said this. I read this somewhere. Someone said it's like he's a werewolf that can't turn into a werewolf. Um, wow. He goes through an extreme kind of physical transformation through the course of this movie without any makeup or anything. Just as an actor, he's doing so much. It's really an incredible story and strong performance um, and yeah, just great direction. And I wish we could see more, more from this director and it's really tragic that um, it took his own life. That is sad. I mean, when you have something like that, I think it, um, it colors the film a little bit, but we only had two write up, two listener write ups about this particular film demon. And uh, one, so I'll start with, because there are only two, I typically wouldn't read any, you know, <laughs> I guess opposing views, Josh during your top 10 but but we only had two comments so Jody B Fine. in Ohio he gave this his most overrated movie of 2016 interesting and, and he said I'm calling it my most lost in translation award because the Jewish folklore and Holocaust subtext were entirely lost on me especially from a film that is billed as a horror movie many of the HMP listeners seem to love it so many it makes me sort of neurotic about it, prompting me to give it another watch in the future. He he only rated it a 3 out of 10, but Dino, on the other hand, it was his number three film of the year, and he, he said uh, 9.5 out of 10 for Dino, and he says Marcin Rona's first and last film about a man who possibly becomes possessed during his wedding reception disturbingly ambiguous the film mixes wry humor with some real psychological horror and i know greg gave it a low rating as well um jody's pal in toledo Mm -hmm. the gray Um, man the gray man himself um yeah i know uh i saw this on twitter they were going back and forth and jody said he was going to revisit this because he was so perplexed (laughs) i guess he didn't have a chance to do that but um man you have to call your most overrated (laughs) <laughs> yeah jody heartbreaker no no so to finish though what dino say he said when considering rona's tragic story the film's message of pain and silent suffering become particularly poignant and he calls it a must yeah, see absolutely. yeah you don't want to talk about it too much because it's a person's real life but it was impossible for that not to play into my viewing and when you see this character who's going through so much turmoil and the people in his life uh, can't understand it, or in some cases don't even know that it's going on, you really cannot help but think about the sorrow that the director must have been in uh, to in order to take his own life. So it's uh, it was extremely poignant and just one of the most powerful and tragic viewing experiences I've had in my life. Wow. Uh, 
I am more intrigued about this movie than anything we've talked about so far. So this is going to yeah, the top of my me, list. Me too. I've, I've it, it's simple. You know, I don't want to oversell it. There's not much to the movie, but as I said earlier, it hypnotized me. And, okay. and I'm sure part of that was the story of the filmmaker, but I just, man, I was like in a trance while I was watching this movie. I got you. Okay, so that's uh, Josh's number five pick, and it's called Demon. All right, so let's go to the listeners number four. This is their collective pick, and it is Much to Juan's Chagrin, Train to Basan. Okay, <laughs> and, and since we've talked about one, let's hear what Juan had to say about it, and then I got a couple other listener positive comments. Juan, hater of Basan, calls it, <laughs> I'm just kidding, he calls it the most overrated movie, horror movie of 2016, and he says, I cannot, for the love of everything that's dear to me, Figure out why people love this so much. It's literally World War Z in a train with Koreans. Literally. <laughs> that's, that's what Juan had to say about it. So it does have it does have that little World War Z element at the end that I mentioned in my review. But mm-hmm. I, I, first of all, I don't hate World War Z as much as apparently some people do, and Juan here does. But um, I, I enjoy World War Z for what it is. I thought this was much better than World War Z, though, in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah. That's right. Now, see, um, Jody, in our previous one, you know, he was doing soul searching when the whole community felt a certain way. You know, he was he was searching his soul. So, I don't know if this will convince Juan to do that. But, but Juan, Oliver, it was his number one movie of the year. It was Sal Roma's number one movie of the year. It was Jonathan W.'s number one Colin Campbell's number one, Bill just east of Toronto, it was his number one, and Frank the Fiend, it was his number one. And then it was a lot of people's number two movie. We had about 25 votes on that. And uh, it was, you know, people were loving it. So uh, Dino says, focusing on a small group of characters on a speeding train missed the outbreak of a fast-spreading zombie virus. Yon Sang Ho's horror thriller succeeds where World War Z failed. Rich in character development, but doesn't skimp on frenetic zombie action. 9.5 out of 10, a must-see in the most fun movie of the year. And then Brian Maloney said, Train to Busan is the movie that World War Z could have been. The melodrama got a bit cloying toward the end, or it might have been further up on my list. Tonally quite strange, I thought. The bright lighting and large set pieces seemed more at home for a blockbuster than even a well-produced zombie film. But Brian, I would say that was kind of part of the charm of it for me. I mean, it was really unique looking for that kind of zombie film. But um, Dr. Shock, I know you got a couple of comments there to read. Yes, I do. I have one from um, The Gray Man. Uh, he had a number two, nine out of 10, visually compelling, great story. And it's a perfect bookend film for zombie films and overdone subgenre <laughs> Buy it. And also, uh, John Gale's twin, Tim gave, had a number six train to Busan zombie infected film on a train, which adds a claustrophobic feeling has a world war Z feel, but it's way better. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so many people hate hating on world war Z. And again, with the overdone subgenre, I just don't get a look like we were everyone was complaining about vampire movies a few years ago being overdone. Jay and, and a lot of people are complaining about paranormal movies being overdone. Come on, it uh, is. <laughs> this year, Dave's oh. saying it's the year of the home invasion film. Like, 
can we just accept that there are different subgenres in horror and there are going to be a lot of different types of horror films? And, you know, like, I, I just don't get why this is the overdone genre now all of a sudden. The, the reason I'm mad is because we need people stuck on a ski lift trying to get their family out of a foreign <laughs> country where it's dangerous and they're attacked <laughs> by bears and other beastly freaks. And that's what, yep. that's what I want, Josh. But... I see. Well, what I'll you're tell saying. you, like, if I look at my list, you know, when we were doing our reviews, there's a lot of movies about you know, deadbeat parents. There's a lot of movies uh, where the, you know, the threat is ambiguous. There's a lot of movies where it's a foreign film with an unfamiliar uh, entity. Like that, that's the thing. I mean, and I'm not complaining. I love all these movies, but that seems like the thing that's overdone to me this year, or as Dave said, maybe home invasion films. So I don't know. I, I Let's not hate, guys. There's 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 enough horror for all of us, especially this year. There's so much good. Well, I don't feel like they were hating on World War C. They just keep saying it's better than World War C. I'm just they're hating on zombie movies in general, which I don't get. Like I like I said, I liked thirty some horror movies this year, and only one of those was a zombie movie. Like mm-hmm. were there that right. were there even that many zombie movies this year? I can't even think of any others, if any, right off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true yeah. enough. Yeah. For sure. Train to Poisson, that's the listener number four pick. Well done. And uh, let's move to Dr. Shock's number four of the year. All right. My number four of the year has already been discussed. It's The Invitation. Um, when, when I saw this movie, uh, I, yeah, I got drawn in. You know, you got that great opening scene where, um, uh, you know, the car hits, I think it was a wolf. And they decide they have to sort of put it out of its misery. And you know it's going to mean something uh, as the movie goes on. You're not quite sure what, though. Um, I got into the, the the characters. Even when you sort of figure out where it's going, you still don't really want it to go there because I did end up liking these characters a lot. So the ending was, you know, very effective for me. And then that last shot I thought was just tremendous when when you realize the scope of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that this is my number four mm-hmm. uh, of the year. Excellent. Well, I definitely back you on that. I'm very impressed. I respect anybody that includes the invitation on their list. Thank you. <laughs> that makes me happy. Right, Josh? What if they don't? Do you still respect them? No, there will be no <laughs> respect in that case. Shoot, I'm screwed. But there were about 15 people in the horror movie podcast community that had it on the list. Um, Poison the Well had it. Shannon had it. Joe McGregor had it. We had lots of people, um, you know, including it. So I'm very happy about that. Okay. Uh, Jay of the Dead's number four is Don't Breathe. (sighs) Guys, this is one of the most powerful uh, horror experiences of the year. It was an absolute blast. Get to see that in Salt Lake City. My Salt Lake City Horror Movie Podcast contingent and Andy Howell. Andy and I were laughing through the whole thing, not because it was funny, but like because, well, for Andy, you're scared. Andy gets scared and he laughs. (laughs) And I laugh when things are just like, you know, twisted or like they make me excited. And that's what Don't Breathe was doing for me. First of all, I love Stephen Lang. Avatar is like, I love Avatar. I'm an Avatar apologist, and he is incredible in this film. This is so scary. I love how it's a, a twist, a riff on uh, Wait Until Dark. Man, 
I, I thought for sure, like when I saw this initially, I'm like, okay, that's probably going to just be my number one horror movie of the year, period. And probably everybody else's too. I was just that impressed with it. We had a blast. The people that we were there with, most of them rated it between nine and 10, I think. And um, just really enjoyed it. So don't breathe. I know we've talked about it already. So that's my number four. Wolfman Josh, what's your number four? My number four is Train to Busan. Um, I put this one so high for me because it was the most fun I had in a horror movie this year. Uh, there were other movies that I was, uh, I don't know. There were other movies that I had fun with, but not in this visceral way, way where it was just a complete roller coaster ride. Like this was, yeah, it has an action element to it, but. I felt horror. I felt scared at times. I felt tension. There are monsters in it. This is a horror movie to me. Like, that's not a question for me. But it was also thrilling. And um, thrilling in a way that, you know, the action stuff is. And and, and in a way that really most action movies aren't for me. I'm not an action movie guy. Mm-hmm. And so this was work. I know this was working for me in other ways that were thrilling as well. But it had the intensity and the adrenaline that uh, was just really great. And I, and for me, uh, I like, and I know this is maybe not fitting with your definition of horror J, <laughs> but for me, I like a horror film that is redeeming. Uh, and I, and I, and I don't mind bleak and I don't mind unresolved and I don't mind disturbing, but like I said, with zombie movies, <laughs> There's room for other types, and this is one to me that, although it's not necessarily a, a sunny, rosy ending, um, I think it shows the best in what humanity has to offer. Shows a lot of bad too, um, but I, but it was the showing of the the best of humanity that really was working for me. Uh, as I mentioned, that couple, the husband and wife in this film, just well, I was just like, I love these people. Like, mm-hmm. I love the people, and, and I want to believe that people are like this, and um, and would would be able to react this way in in a tragedy or an event such as this, and would be able to kind of like persevere. And you know, the it's it's a, it's a very Carl uh, movie podcast weekly thing, but. Um, you know, it's the triumph of the human spirit is kind of what this mm-hmm. film had. So. Well, another good thing about that film too, Josh, is um, it, it has a, um, of course there are zombies and they're monsters, but like any good zombie film, it has human beings who are like sub monsters, which are like yes. even beneath the monsters. And, and, and the quote unquote villain of this film is just absolutely reprehend. I mean, infuriating. You just yeah. want to kill people because all of- good zombie movies are about the people, right? And right. um, and this movie has got great people in it. Uh, yes. I like the zombies too, and I like the zombie rules, and I like their riff on it. And I didn't feel like it was a cheat, and I thought it was really exciting. I like seeing. I love rules, and I love them because I love seeing the imp- uh, the implementation of the rules. And I love seeing how our heroes are going to use these rules and work with them in order to survive. And I like that. That's what I like about vampire movies um, and a lot of other horror films. And that's what I I really appreciated about this one too. Mm -hmm. All right. That's Josh's number four and it is trained to Basan. And now we're down to the listener number three pick of the year. And it is green room. (laughs) 
This ended up being uh, Joe McGregor's number one. It's Frank Wiswell's number one. Poison the Well, number one. Jody B. from Ohio. Daniel Rimple's number one. Michael Fitzgerald and the Gray Man from Ohio. Man, uh, a lot of people. And then tons of people's number two movie, Green Room. People are nuts about this film. I think we've heard from most of the people who have written to us so far so um i know we're running long in the tooth so we'll kind of start winding the nose down a little bit i know that juan said this is not a horror movie and so he did not include it on his list but to juan i say you're wrong buddy yes <laughs> one definitely wrong because <laughs> because look if anybody were in this experience i mean you've got dog eating people's faces and necks off in the movie in front of you how's that not horror is Cujo not a horror movie come on one I mean this is this is for me like more realistic like realism because and just how quickly it escalates and how so very innocently it escalates just one innocent act and uh, how you know everybody's doomed or or you know if it works out the way they want everybody's done you know it's really something yeah yeah, um, I like what Jody B. said about it from Ohio. He says, most visceral film of the year and an amazing follow-up in tone and spirit to Sonier's Blue Ruin. So visceral, in fact, that since Anton Yelchin's passing, I've been unable to open my Blu-ray and watch the film again. Oof, yeah. yeah that's, that's hard stuff right there. So wow. that's Green Room. That's the listener's number three pick, and we got to keep moving so we can... Get Dr. Because we got to be finished by the time you got to leave for work, Dr. Shock, right? So, um, well, I would hope so. Yeah, I so hope to get a, maybe a little bit of shut by in there. But, so, uh, so we'll what, see what happens? What is your number three horror movie of the year, Dr. Shock? My number three is The Wailing. Uh, yes. this is another one I just saw today, and yeah, wow, this is it's it, it does not feel like a two and a half hour movie. Now, Thank when you. you look back on it a lot of stuff is happening and there is a lot yeah. of stuff that happens in the movie to justify that length. But as you're watching it, I remember the, I looked at the time twice once, I think maybe 20 minutes in just a glance over. It wasn't even like I was, you know, draw, pulled out of the movie. But then the next time I looked over, it was, I think like two hours and five minutes or something <laughs> like that. Um, just because that's, that's just how it, it pulls you in. And I'll, you know, there's just a lot of things happening. And then, at the end, several twists that um, you think you got it figured out, but you don't really. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it just different types of of you know you, you, this you got the, the the sort of demonic. You've got you know, what feels like zombies. You've got uh, the supernatural feel to this. It brings a lot into it. Um, it's actually a beautifully shot movie too. I mean, just some Gorgeous. of the cinematography is is excellent. Um, so this, yeah, this is my, uh, my number three and, uh, and well-deserved from everything I've heard. I haven't even seen it, but Josh has got me so wound up about this movie. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. You know what? We're envious. <laughs> you get to experience it for the first time. So, yeah. And honestly, I'm happier with you not seeing it than coming in and saying it's a three. So <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm going to rate it overrated a- <laughs> of the year. Come on, you guys. <laughs> you think I'm going to rate it a three out of 10. No, huh? I hope you love, it. I hope you love it, but you know, Okay, so no, never know with Jay of the Dead. This guy's gonna say <laughs> that's right. That's Doctor Shock's number three of the year, and he calls it. It is the Wailing. 
Okay, my number three of the year is my biggest little discovery of the year. <laughs> my most, I, I mean, I was so excited. And, and this ended up, if I recall correctly, I think this was like a press screening, a little press screener we got to review. And man, I loved it. It is The Invitation. And what I love so much about this film is that in the face of grief, or when coping with grief, everyone handles that differently. And sometimes you just can't go to the same places that other people who are grieving around you go. And um, there, there's a lot of like undercurrent and subtext about, about dealing with grief and tragedy. And it's really interesting because... One thing I noticed in the in the cinema this year, not just in horror cinema, but just the cinema at large, is there are so many films out right now about the loss of children and coping with that. And man, it's incredible. So the invitation had me completely on edge the whole time. And then and it, even though it's a slow burn, which I'm usually, you know, not as patient with. I, the slow burn was perfect for me. I was happy with it. I loved uh, Logan, Mar- Logan Marshall Green's performance. It's just a- exceptional. And by the time this thing does crack open, it, it, it's just, wow, it, what a ride. And by the end, I just felt like I was catching my breath. So The Invitation is a must-see horror film. I really wrestled. I, I switched around the order so much. I'm sad that it's as low as far down as number three. But man, this is incredible. So make sure you see the invitation if you haven't already. Wolfman Josh, what is your number three pick? Well, Jay, let me answer that question with a question. Okay. What is thou like to live deliciously? <laughs> uh, yeah, the witch is my number three. This is uh, a haunting film. It was a great experience. It's a slow, quiet film. It's a lot of psychological horror. Uh, what visceral horror there is is terrifying and and offsetting. This it, the film has uh, put me off balance more than maybe any other film this year of really scaring me deeply um, and just making me feel uneasy. <laughs> It's a New England folktale is the subtitle or the catchphrase of the film. I'm not sure which, but it's um that's great. I like that description of it because that's that is what you get. And I like that this takes place in an era when uh, the witch hunt was was happening and these characters are dealing with some of the ramifications of that. Um, and uh, are they going to actually experience it or are they going to experience it in kind of a psychological way? You have to see the film to find out. And I, um, yeah, I, I really was blown away by this movie. I was kind of hard on this when we reviewed it and I took a lot of grief from Juan, who's been mentioned many times on this episode, <laughs> and a few other listeners, uh, he loved this movie. And I think for me, um, I enjoyed it too, but I was a little bit underwhelmed when I first saw it in terms of uh, – I just wanted it to be 
something that it quite wasn't quite. And so my expectations played a role in that. And you kind of set the tone of the, our review in a way of like, wasn't this the best movie you've ever seen or something? <laughs> That's not what you said, but the way you <laughs> positioned kind of the, the opening question mm-hmm. kind of uh, put me into a certain, um, I don't know. Sometimes when we review movies, it's not that I'm playing devil's advocate, but I kind of, we kind of want to explore all of the facets of a film. Yes, and so I think I true. was, uh, you were kind of ta- very positive on it when you started. And so I kind of started talking about the negatives just to kind of, you know, keep the conversation interesting. And I think it kind of maybe surprised people when I said this is an eight and buy it and see it in the theater uh, because it sounded probably I was a little bit harder on it than that. Um, I bought this. I, I do own it on Blu-ray. I love it. I've watched it a couple of times. It's a great movie. And it could have been my number one on any other year. <laughs> Oh man, I back you on that one. I I totally do. I'm really happy. I mean, because of all the horror films, uh, th- this one, I mean, it's like Academy Award level to me. Mm-hmm. Like performance, production, yeah. like beautiful film. It better get a nod. I mean, it, it it deserves one. And I think there are several that do this year, but I I, I think this has maybe the best chance. Right. Yeah. I mean, it has that Sundance pedigree and. This is a caliber of horror film that we don't get to see very often. So, I mean, when you have one up in this level of artistry and mastery, yes, absolutely, Josh. Great pick. I love it. It's streaming uh, for a subscription on Amazon Prime right now, so you can watch it for free if you have Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you haven't watched this yet, that's your first priority. (laughs) Okay, the listener number two here of the year is don't breathe and what's interesting about this pick yeah get this this is their number two and you're not going to believe this but out of 39 submitters okay 39 lists this was in the top 15 of 36 of those 39 lists wow (laughs) everybody had it everybody loved it so um but i'll tell you it's uh gabby moore's number one and uh, let me see if there are any others that it was like their number one, at least want to mention that. I mean, there was a lot of it was number two for a lot of people. But yeah, Gabby had it at number one. And that is don't breathe for the listeners. <clears throat> OK, let's keep on trucking because we got to we got to bring this thing in for a landing. Dr. Shark, what is your number two of the year? My number two is Green Room. Um, for a lot of the you know what what yes. I said earlier or what has been discuss- discussed discussed. Uh, it is a visceral experience. You have an awesome performance by Patrick Stewart. Uh, I like how Patrick Stewart said when he read this script, he uh, he was at home and he ran around and locked all the doors and windows because it really got to him, uh, the script for this movie. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's just one of those horror situations where everything's going along fine and then you see something you shouldn't. One of the things I always go back to, and it really sticks with me, is that scene, that great scene in Fargo, where they've just shot um, the policeman by the side of the road, and a car just happens by, and you see them speed off, and Peter Stormer takes off after them. Just the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's what this movie is, mm-hmm. um, played out um, you know, to, to the extreme. Uh, so, yeah, for me, this, is, this was number two, and it's one that I just kept thinking about more and more and more 
after I saw it. Yeah, it sticks with you, doesn't it, Josh? It sure does. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that, and we'll keep on trucking. All right, so now we're down to uh, Jay of the Dead's number two movie of the year, and it is The Witch, a New England folktale. Nice. Man. There you go. The best, the best thing I can do to sing praises of this that haven't already been sung is much like when I saw Cannibal Holocaust the first time, you know, if there's a little candle, a little light that's in your soul when you watch this movie, it is blown out and extinguished. I was like, mm. I saw this at a, it was a Monday morning press screening up in Salt Lake City. And I walked out of that theater and I thought, I just don't know how I'm going to go on. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, this thing is soul crushing, soul destroying, so upsetting, very scary. I mean, oh my goodness, like the dark, dark horror tone of this. And just side note, this made a remarkable appearance over on Movie Podcast Weekly on a list of a person who isn't even a horror fan, and it was the number one pick for that person. So that tells you the power of this film. Incredible. The Witch. Okay. Well, Fan Josh, what's your number two? My number two, like my number three, is a film that if it had been any other year, this would have been my number one film. And I struggled for a long time with whether or not this would be my number one. Uh, ultimately, nothing could buck my number one. But I tell you, this is one of the best movies that I've ever seen in my life, in my opinion. I know it's not that for everyone. We've seen that from our listener comments. It's not that for everyone. But this was one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. This is going to be on my all-time favorite movies list, let alone my all-time favorite horror movies list. It is The Wailing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love so much the experience that I had watching this movie for the first time of just going on this journey that I had no idea where it was going. I, I really ended up with something 180 degrees from what I thought I was going to be getting in the first scene. <laughs> Or the second scene or the third scene. It just kept, it, it, and it's not a bait and switch. It it builds and changes and ramps and, um, yeah. and it does all that while still kind of keeping a slow burn vibe. But there's a lot going on and there's a lot to follow. And I think especially as a Westerner who's unfamiliar with a lot of the customs and, and Buddhism and shaman and all of these things and and the legend that's at the root of this film, um, you may feel lost even, but the performances are great. It's impeccably shot. One of the most beautiful films I've seen all year. Uh, you know, they're talking about The Handmaiden as a film that deserves to be the first Korean film to get an Academy Award. Forget that. This deserves to be the first <laughs> Korean film to get an Academy Award. This is, has to be, I mean, it's so good. It's just so good. And, yeah. um, yeah, this, you know, talk about a film that sticks with you. This will, this stuck with me so long and, and so much, you know, as I mentioned, I watched it three times. This is one of those movies that's just stuck with me forever. Like I, I, I believe that will stick with me forever. I, I think about it all the time. Um, trying to kind of decode. And, and it's also one of those movies where you kind of think like, what would I do in the situation? Mm-hmm. You've got a father and, and it, there, this is maybe a bad example for our listeners, but there's a, there's a thriller called Brigham city where a police <laughs> officer is investigating a serial killer in the sleepy town. But the police officer, the sheriff, he also happens to be the, the church leader in their local area. He's like the ecclesiastical leader. And so he is trying to balance his police duty 
difficulties with his um, kind of church duties as you know the pastor, I guess, of these people essentially, right? Um, and it creates some interesting situations for me. This is a, pol- a police officer, maybe even like Jaws, and a father uh, trying to kind of balance those things and and operating in both worlds and acting in ways that are completely unbecoming of a police officer throughout almost the entirety of the film. First is it kind of this bumbling idiot and later is just this loose cannon. Um, but I can't fault him for it really. And I wondered the whole time I, you know, what would I do? I have no idea what I would do in some of these situations. And this scared the crap out of me. I know that I think maybe it was Allison (laughs) who said it wasn't all that scary. I don't know if Hmm. she said that, I was terrified during some of the scenes of this film. Like, and it's not the obvious scenes like toward the beginning where you're like, well, there's a demon with glowing red eyes. Like that wasn't scary. It got scarier and scarier for me, the further it went along. And there's a scene, um, uh, with kind of like, uh, with a shed involved. There's a couple scenes with that shed. I almost lost it. Both of those times. I was so terrified. Yeah. That, those are strong scenes. Definitely. And there's a scene at the very end where it's like one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen in a film. Um, and then there's the scene with the shaman. It's just one of the coolest scenes I've ever seen where it's kind of like our version of like what an exorcist scene might be. Right. And that shaman scene was so awesome. Like I was just enthralled. And anyway, I, I, I could go on and on. I already have. I, I love the Wailing. It's my number two, which it could have easily been my number one, but it's it's not this year. <laughs> okay, you got it. Well, now we're down to the number one picks. Number one horror movie of the year for the Horror Movie Podcast listenership. It was a, a clear-cut winner, and it is The Witch, a New England folktale. And the listeners... Let me just tell you this. It was number one on 10 different lists. Number one. Wow. Number one for Kagan in Salt Lake City, Brian in St. Louis, Elena Klein, Dark Mark, Brian Maloney, Juan in Texas, Rob from Belgium, Luke Bernand. I think maybe all night we've been saying his name incorrectly. Luke Bernand. Sorry, Luke, if I've been calling you Luke Bernard. I apologize. Robert Salinas, it was his number one, and Mike from the Back Row podcast, also his number one. It was lots of people's number two, even. Man, this was very prevalent, very prominent in the listener lists. Let me see if I just have one or two just quick comments here, because we got to wrap it up. Robert says, my favorite horror movie of the year, fascinating setting, time, and period. Felt utterly chilled while watching this Really hope more movies like this get made. Amen, Robert. And then you had Slashly G. She said, absolutely creepy 1600s period piece about a family being torn apart by witchcraft and evil. Also, even the animals could act. (laughs) Yes, I totally agree with that too, guys. (laughs) So anyways, uh, this is a great film and I back the listeners 100%. Well done. They said The Witch is their number one. Dr. Shock, what is your number one horror film of the year? My number one horror film of the year? Are you listening, Juan? It is Train to Busan. Oh. I had <laughs> such, a, such a fun time watching this movie. Uh, it was such a blast. Um, zombies that are uh, really 
you know, scary. I did like the whole what happens when it goes under a bridge. Uh, so I like sort of the different <laughs> rules that they gave it. Um, and the people, like you said, all of the good horror movies are about the people. And, and, you know, it was about the daughter and her father. But I'm with you, Josh. I really did like that married couple also. I thought they were a great inclusion. Uh, you get an opinion about the guy the first time you meet him. And then you realize he's probably the strongest character in the movie. Um, you know, and just mm-hmm. just everything, everything about this movie. It was so much fun. Um, I can't wait for it to come out so that I can watch it again. Uh, yeah, so that is my number one movie of the year. A worthy choice. Well done. And um, I, I have a suspicion, Wolfman Josh, that you and I have the number one film of the year, the same pick. Just saying. Uh, well, should we say it at the same time? All right, ready? Let's do it. Well, I will, let's do it like this. We'll do three, two, one, say it. Okay, ready? Okay. Here it goes. Three, two, one, Green, Green room. room. That's right. That's the number one <laughs> horror film of the year. Survival horror. Absolutely terrifying. If this happened to you in real life, you would pee your pants. Right, Josh? I would definitely pee my pants. <laughs> I pee my pants all the time, so it's not. <laughs> yeah, like... I mean, that's normal, right? But, Josh, I know this resonated with you so much because you you really feel like Sonia captured the whole punk scene and and there was a lot of verisimilitude of actual real life in this which made it particularly convincing for you right yeah i mean i wouldn't say the whole punk scene um and and i know that's probably not what you meant but that this is certainly not the entirety of the punk scene but it's a very specific slice from the punk scene which is this punks and skins thing and i grew up in this world or a version of this world and Every single moment of this felt like something, well, not every single moment, every single moment up to a certain point (laughs) felt like something I had experienced. You know, I was in a punk band, (laughs) played around, we went on small tours, we were poor, like, you know, I really identified with these characters, Anton Yelchin, at this point, not having no idea he was going to pass away. And I said it then, and, and I'll say it now, he was my, probably my favorite actor of his generation. I, I've always appreciated him ever since I first saw him as a little kid on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like, who is that little kid? Since, I love this guy. Since and, Charlie uh, Bartlett, I knew he was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I just, I love Anton Yelchin, and he's so good in this. He's perfect casting, and um, yeah, just like, it means so much to me on a level that I know it's clear, obviously not everyone can experience it that way. And that's fine. And I realize it's completely subjective and that's why I struggled so much with the whaling, because in some ways I wanted to say the whaling is the superior movie. Um, but this is so personal to me that I, I can't, I mean, this is going to be one of my favorite movies of, of all time. Like the whaling, this goes on my yes. all time list. Yes. And, um, and, and it is, and it's a great thriller. It's a great horror film. It's a great, um, you know, uh, one location siege narrative. It, it works on all of these levels, mm-hmm. but you know, one thing I love about documentaries and we don't always have this with feature, you know, um, fictional narrative films, but I love seeing, getting a peek into a certain culture. And I love that this offers that with green room like this. And I'm sure there are skinheads out there. Probably they'll listen to the show. Uh, hopefully they're all anti-racist skinheads, so, you know, so they don't hate me. But, um, 
I'm sure they're they're out there. And I hope you don't find it offensive that I say that this kind of represents the that culture so well because I know even Saulnier has been careful to kind of say like this is a fantasy because I don't think he wants to get in trouble with anybody. Um, but I feel like this really <laughs> captures the dynamic that I felt as a teenager of punks and skins and going to a show and just being like, Oh great. There's skinheads here. We're going to fight tonight. And that was a thing, you know, and, and um, you know, I love that Sonia uses the real music and he's got uh, one of the main characters who is a Jewish actress in a dead Kennedy's shirt. And they play a very famous dead Kennedy song, uh, Nazi punks F off. And they play it in a skinhead club like it's just amazing that's brazen Uh, yes yeah (laughs) and um but it even gets the little details right about band life of just like they're on their bikes riding through a cornfield going to siphon some gasoline (laughs) you know and it gets all the thriller moments right too it's so there's so much tension it's so well paced um i love you know i don't love the satellite story but i do like how it plays out even though it's like to me that's kind of the like yeah. sketchiest part of the whole film right it still works and yeah. it's real and it turns out that really happened to Saulnier in real life mm-hmm. and so that makes it work for me even more um yeah i i apologize for going on and on but i i really really love this movie oh i'm with you i, I love hearing it and you know i tell you what works about it for me is just the fact that it, it, as you said it's a siege narrative and you have people who are once again stuck in a deadly situation which it becomes even deadlier the longer they're there. And man, and it's it's the perfect, what would I do if I were in this situation? I love watching movies like that. Um, and the violence is so believable, first of all. Like when you see it, like a lo- I mean, this is done practically, so it's very convincing. And it's like things that are like the worst possible things that I wouldn't want happening to me, like, like a dog eating my face. You know, like things like that are just, <laughs> bone chilling to me I, I i thought this movie was horrifying when i saw it it's it's one of the scariest movies of the year as well and uh green room absolutely josh not just a, a favorite horror film of this year but just a favorite all-time film period it's got to be in my like i don't know top 15 films ever no kidding wow that's awesome <clears throat> that makes me very happy yes yeah yes. definitely so there you have it. That is the top 10. And here's what we're going to do since we've been going so long. And honest to goodness, guys, like Dr. Shock has to get up in like an hour. He's going to leave for work in like an hour and a half. So we're going to cruise down through the rest of this. Um, this is what we're going to do. The uh, honorable mentions, I'm just going to read down through the list. If you want to say a, a one sentence thing or something, fine. But here is the the listenership collective honorable mentions. This is the listeners 11 through 15. Dr. Shock, pay attention to their number 11. The Boy. (laughs) The Boy. Okay. I love Mm -hmm. them. And then 12, Lights Out. Number 13, this was like the most frequent honorable mention on everybody's list. The Shallows. It was honorable mention on like countless lists. It's a great honorable mention pick. (laughs) Yes, it really is. It really is. The Shallows. Love it. 14, The Neon Demon. And number 15, The Monster. So that was the listeners. Dr. Shock, give us your honorable mention, sir. All right. And I'm going to go backward from six to one because I did actually rank these also. I already mentioned one. They're watching. Um, then, uh, so there's six of them for me. Six is they're watching. Number five is the monster. 
Uh, I did like the dynamic between the mother and, and daughter in that one, um, and uh, the 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 beastly freak, as you would say, Jay, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. This uh, the next few are ones that um, either both of you had recommended or Josh had recommended. Um, uh, Scarzo Diabolico was one that I had checked out. Um, I kind of was able to figure out where that movie was going for a fair portion of it. And then it completely threw me off the track at the end. <laughs> um, and I loved that. Um, number three was the triangle. Another one where <laughs> I figured I thought I knew where it was going. And then, wow, did it, did it take a left turn? Mm-hmm. Um, number two, the good neighbor. Uh, J- James Kahn is tremendous in that movie. He really is excellent. Um, but not only that, it, it's just such an intriguing story because you, you, again, you think one way and by the time the movie's over, you've gone completely the other way. Uh, and then this is one where I was going back and forth. I almost had it as my number 10 and put the other side of the door down in honorable mentions. Um, because it is a movie I just absolutely love. Uh, and it's the conjuring Two. Uh, is my number one of the uh, be my number eleven pick? Again, I really went back and forth as to whether to put it at, at number ten. Um, nice, but uh, the Conjuring two would would be uh, my top honorable mention. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Here are my honorable mentions. Um, my number eleven was ten Cloverfield Lane. Loved it. Number twelve, The Conjuring two. As I said, the best monster of the year. Number. Thirteen, the monster, a beastly freaks film with heart and with great acting. Number fourteen, the shallows. Can't believe how much I enjoyed that. And number fifteen, what we become, because it sh- it focuses on right as the outbreak is starting and everything's kind of falling apart, and it kind of stays there for most of the movie. Love it, and uh, that's mine. Josh, what are your honorable mentions? Uh, my honorable mentions. Are and like I said, I actually have twenty of these, but I won't. I will spare you. Um, my number eleven is the Love Witch. Just uh, again, I wanted to just say something about how unique this film is. It's just unlike anything else, and uh, at least not of this era. It's a, it's a very timeless movie in the sense that it feels very out of time and out of place in our time. Um, just a just a completely unique cinematic oddity you know, viewing experience. Someone like D- Dave, I think would really love. I am uh, looking forward to seeing that one after, after you and uh, Allison were talking about it. I'm really anxious to check that one out. Cool. Uh, my number 12 is 10 Cloverfield lane. My number 13 is the autopsy of Jane Doe. My number 14 is I am not a serial killer. And my number 15 is a three way tie <laughs> between three sequels that, we didn't need, didn't want, could have been disasters. And some people will say that two of them probably are disasters, but I disagree. They are Ghostbusters, Blair Witch, and The Conjuring 2. Oh, boy. I really enjoyed oh. all three of those, and I think they're all far better than they deserve to be. And and The Conjuring 2 especially almost made my top 10 at, at one point. Um, but the other the Ghostbusters I wanted to be in my top 10. The Blair Witch wasn't, was never going to make it, but um, I think it did everything right in terms of being a sequel to the film. It was a sequel of, it just failed on some basic film premises, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that's my, 
a sampling of my 20 honorable mentions, I guess. Okay. All right. And uh, thank you for that. And, and we can do this pretty fast too, just as far as disappointments in case people want to want to hear that. Um, shut in. I was disappointed. Wasn't as terrible as everybody said. It's 5.5. Indigenous. I just thought it was going to be better. It wasn't. Pet. That was definitely a disappointment. I love that premise. Rob Zombie's 31. One of the listeners said in their comments, I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me, that they're just about ready to give up on Rob Zombie. <laughs> and um, I kind of agree, actually. 30. I didn't think that was that bad. Uh, I, I, we're, oh, we'll talk about that later when we do the clown episode. Yes, but, um, yes. I got to say just briefly, like, I was, maybe it was just because I'd heard so many bad things about it, but I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised with that film. Mm. Well, even and even though, and this wasn't a disappointment, even though, like, as far as worst movie of the year, like, I thought The Darkness was pretty bad, but the worst damn horror movie of 2016 is Blair Witch. It's a one, avoid. So, um, you have not seen enough bad movies. No, I have, trust me, and that was one of them. Okay, uh, <laughs> Dr. Shuck, did you have any disappointments you wanted to mention? Um, well, the only, the, actually, the, probably the worst one I saw this year was Clown Town. Uh, I went into that one with a lot of high hopes and, and it, it just meandered and it just ended up not making a lot of sense. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of clown town. Um, no, other than that, I mean, you know, that there, Oh, and bite was one. Um, I really did like the ending and everyone said, Oh, how gross it was and all. And it really was gross, but take away, you know, the, the stuff that came before it is cringe worthy. It really is a lot of like the opening sort of found footage of them uh, away in Costa Rica it's presented that way as of the lead and her two friends down there uh, celebrating her bachelorette party. Oh, all of the exposition, all of the uh, it was just not good. Um, those would be probably my two biggest disappointments of the year. Okay. All right, and uh, what about you, Wolfman Josh, for disappointments? So my disappointments are always films that I really wanted to like, uh, or in some cases even did like. Like a lot of the times my biggest disappointments cross over with my honorable mentions because I wanted them to be masterpieces such as The Autopsy of Jane Doe and I'm Not a Serial Killer. Those were close to being my couple, you know, top three of the year. And then... uh kind of deflated for me toward the end. Um, other biggest disappointments for me would be The Monster, Beyond the Gates. Those are two movies I thought I would love and that I loved elements of, but didn't quite work for me. Howl is one that I, I really love Howl and I bought it, but it, I was still a bit disappointed. It's a werewolf movie. It takes place on a train in the UK. Um, mm, oh yeah. I forget about that one. It's fun. I yeah, mean, it is. I, I, you know, I bought it, but it's, it's a disappointment. The one pretty big disappointment that i didn't love is yoga hosers that was one of the <laughs> the lesser films i've seen this year i've seen much worse believe it or not but that is uh definitely a, a big disappointment because I, I i like kevin smith and i and i just want the best for him like like i used to sit feel about m night Shyamalan before the visit i just want him to have a great movie and i thought he did with red state and he almost did with tusk and i i'm, I'm afraid we're getting diminishing returns toward mystery Okay. okay well i think you're right about that but okay guys so here are and this is my final thing my final words for the night for this episode and then um we're gonna have to move the 2017 stuff to a 
maybe our next episode. Is that okay with everybody? Because it's so late. Yeah, it's fine with me. Okay, yep. thank you. And we'll make it worth your while, listeners. Thanks for waiting for it. But anyway, my, my final word here, I wanted to give a special little list that is not horror. I'm saying it out front. Not horror, but maybe of interest to horror fans because these films have horror components within their DNA, okay? And here we go. This is fast. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to. Um, this will be fast. Man Down with Shia LaBeouf. Watch it. If you love movies, just watch it. Man, that's a brutal film. It goes places emotionally that are uh, <laughs> just relentless and unflinching. And then for me, The Triangle. I loved it. I know you guys had it on your list. For me, it wasn't horror. It was a drama mystery. And that's fine if you had it on your list. Because it is very uncomfortable. There's a true sense of dread. It's unsettling. Makes you uneasy. Extremely realistic and authentic. Um, it's a cinematic oddity. I actually really enjoyed The Triangle. I think people should check it out. Uh, the Ones Below. Not a horror movie to me. But it had some really uncomfortableness to it. And then this is... Uh, one that I would call social horror, which is not a horror classification to me. It's just a drama, but it's Cresha. And it's a Thanksgiving movie where the awful things that happen in these family relationships are just so uncomfortable. You can't even imagine how uncomfortable. It's spelled like Krisha, K-R-I-S-H-A, but it's Cresha. And man, that one sticks with you. I loved it. <clears throat> and now, guys... I want to tell you the scariest movie I saw all year long, and it wasn't even a horror movie, technically. It was The Last Descent. I was not more scared <laughs> at any point oh, in any movie, not even close to being this scared. It was the scariest movie of 2016. No kidding. I couldn't breathe. Uh, it's about a guy. It's a true story about a guy who gets stuck in a cave and he's stuck upside down. It happened not far from where we live here in Utah. Just I've been in the cave. I've been in there, man. And I've felt super claustrophobic in there. Yeah. And Josh has been. Have you seen that yet, Josh? No, no, I haven't. <sighs> you got to see it, Josh. You got to see it. But anyway, um, I would recommend that for people. I mean, it, it's basically, it's kind of, in some ways, it's an after school special. Like it doesn't have a tone of a horror movie, but man, it really bothered me. Um, duck shock it's gonna bother you too and and okay. the PS on the Cresha I forgot to mention that that's based on real events of the director's life and man that's upsetting stuff so anyway those are my final words um, what are your final words Dr. Shock for the night before we wrap up nothing I, I just uh, for my uh, for my first uh, year end episode um, I thought it, it was a great bunch of movies. Um, I want to own pretty much every single one. Um, some of them I already do. Some of them I'm waiting for them to come out, and I can't wait to see them again. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. And here's, uh, going forward, I'll be on uh, uh, future episodes and uh, be able to watch these things a little more regularly. That's pretty much my final word. Okay, thank you. Wolfman Josh, you got any final words you want to tell the listeners before we give away prizes and call it a night? I just think it was an incredible year for horror, and I think we're all lucky to have the task of having to decide between so many excellent films uh, to make a top 10 list because, as I've mentioned many times, there's 30 that were in contention uh, for my top 10 list. 
And so, uh, yeah, just a really, really strong year. And as I look back over the last few years, this is one of the best I can remember. And I'm super excited about my top five. And I hope people will check out the other films in my in my top ten and honorable mentions. Okay. And then we just want an award, just a couple little prizes. If you don't mind, this will be super fast. So last year, a year ago on our top 10 episode, I, I put out a challenge there to my fellow hosts of that show. It was Josh and Bill Shetty at the time. I said, we're going to have a poll. We'll have the listeners vote which top 10 list they like the most. And um, I got 21% of the votes. Bill Shetty got 19% of the votes. And Josh got 60% of the votes. He won, um, and I owed him a prize. And so, Josh, here's your prize. You ready? This is legit. I can't wait. You get to pick one film from the four, any of the four top ten lists, either mine, Doc's, yours, or the listeners. Pick a film that they had on their top ten list, and I'll get it for you. That's your prize. Okay, so I... <laughs> So mine and yours are the same, and I already own it. Well, it doesn't have to be a number one pick. Any of the top ten. Oh, any of the okay. <laughs> huh. Yeah, no, no, not right, the number one. Any of the top amazing. ten. Thank you, Jay. That's very that's very generous of you. Does it have to be this year, or or was it from the last year when we actually did the contest? Well, okay, I'll I'll let you. You could decide this year or last year. <laughs> that's fine. No, we'll go with that. So All whatever right. you want. And then Doctor Shock, what was that movie that you said you would give away as a prize? Oh, the uh, the Dead Room. Okay, The Dead Room. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to pick a name randomly. Here it is. So this is for The Dead Room. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. And that is Gabby Mora from Chicago by way of Philadelphia. She wins The Dead Room. All right. And then our number one prize, okay, and these are people obviously who submitted top 10 lists, so I wanted to try to at least reward them or give them something. Our friend Bonnie sent us some awesome art and she sent four pieces guys okay and so i've gone through them they're all amazing of course because we got so many talented artists but i i found one that like i know that dr shock i know which one's gonna go to you because i oh. i know you will love this nice and then again we're trying to save time so i'll talk more about it maybe in the future but right. um so that's gonna go to you got one for josh and one for me and then there was a fourth one and i asked bonnie's permission if we could give it away as a prize and the fourth one is a poster i'll tell you what it is here it, it says the dead are not quiet in hill house and it's it's amazing oh, i've seen that yeah i love nice. can i just say i love bonnie's artwork she's me too so talented and i don't we haven't talked about this on the show but she works at lacma i believe and um they had the uh, big Guillermo del Toro at home exhibit where you could monsters at home, I believe it was called. And you could go and, and tour that. And I, I know some of our listeners attended like dark Mark sent us a photo of himself at that exhibit in his HMP shirt. Um, but Bonnie actually works there. And when she was there, she made a piece of art for Guillermo del Toro and was able to present it to him. And I saw some photos of that on her Instagram and Twitter. And, um, so cool. Maybe we could put a picture of that in the show notes if she's cool with it. I'll ask her. But um, mm -hmm. really awesome that she got to work on such a cool thing. She's an amazing artist and then got to give her art to uh, Guillermo del Toro as a gift. It's really cool. Yeah, she, she's very talented. Um, you can find her, and I'll have all this linked in the show notes at etsy.com slash shop slash art of B. Bozell. 
She's on Instagram and Twitter, as Josh said. I'll have that linked in the show notes. So please check out her art and support Bonnie, who is donating this to the show, which is really nice. Yeah, definitely. It does cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I can't believe when they do that. I think that's wonderful. But anyway, let's uh, find what who's going to get the prize. And it is Brian S. from St. Louis. Nice. So, Brian, you are the winner. And there you go. So, thank you guys for participating. We really appreciate everyone who uh, sent in their picks and everyone who supported us on the Horror Movie Podcast this year. It's been a great year in 2016. We're ready to do it again here in 2017. But I think that wraps it up for episode 108 of Horror Movie Podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, this show is part of the Movie Podcast Network. And while its sister show is Movie Podcast Weekly, I consider that the Dr. Jekyll of the network. This is the dark alter ego. The Mr. Hyde is Horror Movie Podcast. So um, my only plug is check out Movie Podcast Weekly, our sister show. We got a top 10 list over there for all the movies came out in 2016. Not all of them, but a lot of them. All genres. It's crazy. Check it out. Dr. Shock, what do you got for people to check out? Uh, DVDinfatuation.com um, back on track I had been uh, it was a tough end of the year as well with, with all of my work schedule and everything and I did miss some days but I'm back on track with it now um, on my way to 2500 which by the time we do this list next year I, uh, I will have reached that uh, and that part of the challenge will be done um, uh, on Twitter at DVDinfatuation I have a Facebook page as well, and you can check me out on the Land of the Creeps podcast with uh, Greg Amortis, Jesse. Uh, we had Double H back on, um, and Dr. Dirty, and a whole group of us over there. So come over and check that one out. <laughs> yes. Sounds fun. What about you, Wolfman Josh? Where can they find you? I do short reviews of streaming content at moviestreamcast.com. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. And Dave and I are launching that Universal Monsters cast this month. It's at UniversalMonstersCast.com. We're on Twitter at MonstersCast. And uh, Kagan Breitenbach, HMP Listener of the Year, is going to be producing that podcast and has already written a gorgeous uh, musical theme for the show. Really excited to be talking about the Universal Monsters uh, on a consistent basis. I am too. It's going to be great. And And the theme is excellent. Yeah, and and we should probably mention also Joel Robertson. Oh, that's right. Yeah, is uh, going to be kind of the MC host over there on that show. So mm. he'll, he'll be so good at that. If people aren't familiar with Joel, he is very entertaining. I love him. Very talented guy. He knows a lot about he, he horror. Is. Yep, absolutely. He does. You'll like it. I also just wanted to mention really quickly the three films that I'm dying to catch up on. And maybe we'll do this next episode or whenever we talk about 2017 too. But the three films I missed that I'm really upset about. Well, there were two before. It was Francesca and The Similars. Those were the two that were on my list. And then Dave added the other side of the door for me tonight because that sounds right up my alley. So um, really looking forward to catching up with those films and looking forward to the films in 2017. All right. Thank you. And I just wanted to, uh, I forgot to mention earlier because I'm kind of out of it. <laughs> but those who won prizes, uh, just email me at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. Send me your mailing address um, so we can get that to you. And that sounds great. Thank you. <clears throat> we love your comments. Please get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at 
horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789 and find all our past episodes at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. That'll be linked in the show notes. I also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his wonderful contributions. We'll have him linked in the show notes as well. I think that's it for episode 108. We wish you a happy new year, 2017. We hope it's a great year for you. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>